Another stressful day of telework done. I'm ready to relax with a new paper newspaper. Let's check out the current events. Nope. Oh, I know. I'll pick something from my private library. Something relaxing to read. I like to read about a simpler time. Ah, here we go. The history of the Americas. Uh, how, how about a, a nice, relaxing peek into the future with my crystal ball? <clears throat> crystal ball? What's the world going to look like in 30 minutes? Hmm. Doesn't seem promising. Serves me right, I suppose, to look away from current events. No matter how different things are, cooler heads will prevail. Society will march on to a better tomorrow. I'll just have to have faith in my community to push forward no matter the cost. And <laughs> certainly, no minor convenience that can occur in this apartment will ruin my life. Uh, Greg? I hate to interrupt your soliloquy, but you know that Christmas dinner plate you've kept in the freezer because it was from the last time you were able to be close to your family? You know, the one in the really sentimental-looking Tupperware? And you also know how you have a really hungry roommate who's disconnected from common sense and doesn't know boundaries? Dos, uno, Ali Meekly, episode 79 yeah, starts when, when uh, do we start? Pronto. It? Pronto. It's <laughs> not Spanish, is it? No, I think that's Italian. I don't know how to say now in Spanish. I could say here. It starts a key. <laughs> the podcast that'll have you saying, wow, you've done a lot of dual lingo, haven't you? And that owl is really proud of you. Well, you don't seem to have a lot of work from your work at home assignments. <laughs> hmm, interesting. I'm fattening up my resume by learning how to speak Spanish. I'm fattening. <laughs> I'm fattening up, period. I've been eating every time we get groceries. I always like, well, we got to get ice cream too. And pudding. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and my dad should go shopping together. I'm not going shopping with you. I know what your dad is like going shopping. Oh, he promises me that he won't touch much. He touches everything, and then he wets his fingers to open up the plastic bag to put fruits and veggies in, and that's how you get coronavirus. But both of you would... I feel like there's about three... Well, what are they called? Not rows in a market. Three pillars of Christianity? Three pillars of Christianity. <laughs> three there's the Holy Spirit. Whatever. There's three departments in the market. They're not, I sound like a rich person who's never been to the market before. How much aisles. Does milk go for? There we How, go. What? There's three aisles that you and my dad, I'm sure, would concentrate in. Well, I like the plastic bag aisle, the one where you have to lick your fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to yeah, get you in get there. to lick your fingers. You don't have to. You get to. Bugs are like flying in my mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they look like microscopic versions of the monster from the host, and they're everywhere. I know. The, I don't know why these crazy bugs are all over my building and in no other building that I've ever seen. If a scientist would come here, he'd be like, oh my my word. What do you oh. mean if a scientist would come here? Oh god. I've been deputized <laughs> an <laughs> official citizen scientist by the Natural History Museum. I've taken a, a library sponsored class online for free. <laughs> I took a Duolingo <laughs> in science and I think I'm quite uh, fluent. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Hi. We're, oh hi. We're recording uh, yet again. We're in the parking structure of my building recording. Yeah. People wa- walk by. Oh, you're so funny. You're so funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, tell it to us on iTunes. Yeah, tell it to me on Patreon. <laughs> tell it to me in the form of cold hard cash. <laughs> we're here again being safe. You're sitting. You finally brought a chair yeah. to sit in the back of your truck. So now your grandma clamp it. clamp it from the Beverly Hillbillies. You're just so comfortable. Ro- yeah. <laughs> I'm I, surprised you didn't bring a rocking chair. Hey, we're evolving this and we're learning as we go 
go. We did this in a park originally. And I've been uncomfortable for, yeah. uh, I think, two episodes since then. Two months. Yeah. Two months straight you've been And now I figured it out. A chair in the bed of my truck. I got to pick my feet up. And I'm going to set up. I'm going to take a Duolingo on how to put uh, rocking abilities into chairs fluently. <laughs> I have month. the time now. <laughs> Wearing your Twilight Zone shirt, I we see. Are, it's sinking um, into you. I'm going to reference as many Twilight Zone episodes as I can while I wear this shirt. Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Um, <laughs> Robot boxing. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that one. It's a really good episode. I'm, I'm still mad at Kyle Park for the Hugh Jackman it. movie about it. Rock'em it Sock'em. It doesn't have Rock'em Sock'em Robots. It doesn't have the heart. Chappie. It's a dumber name than Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> no, no, Chappie's not. There's a liter- there was literally a boxing robot movie. That yeah. Hugh ja- yeah. It's is not Chappie. Chappie? No, Chappie is, uh, I think actually Chappie's a cop. <laughs> then I hate him. No. Then <laughs> I would like to defund Chappie. <laughs> First off, before we get into this, I'm Daniel's. I'm <laughs> wow, you haven't said your full I name did, in a I while. So, huh? I took so much Duolingo, I forgot English. <laughs> I'm Daniel Zaffron. I'm Greg Gonzalez. Beautiful. Not the one from let's, the band. Let's welcome our new Patreon people. Okay. Nobody else, just our Patreon people. Everyone else can go eh, sit on it, Yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Sit on it, it being a throne of love from us. But let's hear from the Patreon people who... <laughs> who do not have to sit on it, but they can. They yeah. get to sit <laughs> it's on their it. Option. <laughs> we don't make them sit on the throne. That's the punishment, but they can. You can if you want to. It's the punishment and the reward. <laughs> so new this month, we've got Zachary Wyman. Hi, and, Zach. Uh, or Zachary. I, I, I was too formal. I apologize. I'm too well, informal. I think you need to sit on it. <laughs> You've bought the chair. Now sit on it. <laughs> and we've also got Eric Martinez. A wonderful illustrator. Yeah. You were saying that you knew his work before you knew that he knew us. Yeah. I saw he was in a... I went to Lackman to the bookstore and he had done an illustration of Karen Dalton, who's like one of my favorite singers. So I started following him online and I... I in uh, the Lackma bookstore? Lackma has that gift shop. Not anymore, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, that might be the only thing that's still there. Um, <laughs> makes money but i was going through one of the books and i i don't know if it was all about really? karen dalton or if it was about female singers but he had an illustration of karen dalton and i pretty impressive thought it was great yeah. I, I, I say this a million times our fans are so much more impressive than we are oh yeah a million times more <laughs> i mean obviously it goes without saying but yeah. even the worst of our fans <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna pick a name uh, uh let's just say ada Ada Ruiz. I can feel her blood getting hot from over here. <laughs> we are uh, miles apart, and I can feel. And we are six feet something. apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Sometimes I'll just talk to people kind of randomly on Instagram. We'll you know share words. Sometimes like, oh wow, you're really smart. You're much smarter than I'll ever be. You you're have, talking about wow, you we, have that's how we, commu- we communicate only on Instagram. You're talking about me. Sit on it. Um, <laughs> so what is it? It's July first. It's been a crazy month. Not only just June first to July first, but since we last recorded the last episode, which was on Memorial Day. Yeah. So much as. Yes. A lot of stuff has happened, which we're going to get into in this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I felt helpless this entire month. Yeah. We, I, we could talk about more about this later, but I felt helpless of like, we have a tiny voice. Yeah, we have like, a small megaphone. Yeah, what are we going to, what can we really do until next month when we can devote three hours to this or whatever? But like, I kind of felt helpless in the past month of... Especially because I wanted to go to this so many protests and marches and like, one, couldn't find anyone to go with me, which is fine. Oh, the Shoop Troop, well, they wanted to invite me to a couple, but it was days that we weren't going to work out but then like also like COVID-19 is still a thing and yeah, I, 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 I was, cannot get it I was torn between being terrified of getting sick and being terrified of being shot by the police <laughs> like I don't know which scared me more it, it was just horrible yeah it's been a really different month I've been angry yeah 24 hours and maybe 23 and a 21 hours a day I got this Jurassic Park video game to <laughs> me, but I've just been angry non-stop. I really 
fell into a hole maybe two days into the protests i just started watching like things about the how the rights that i'm going to cover and i just fell into a hole again and i like would have started reading books and st- i i really went into it well what better month to to be connected in that way than and, this month and this is an episode that's long overdue like i've been talking about we're trying to find a way <laughs> to talk about the alley riots, riots. For a long- we did um not watts uh sleepy lagoon mm-hmm. and the zoot suit riots had its own sort of thing but- right and we also covered that one in century city where the police yeah and there was the black cat stuff Oh, also, right, right, right. Th- yeah, these ones were like... Rage. We, we knew this was going to happen, <laughs> so we were saving it for this for this month. And I can tell why like we we were like so... I don't want to say reluctant to do it, but I knew that like I would certainly it's get so more heavy. emotional yeah, than I know. this one than I know. like <laughs> famous hot dogs of LA. Like I knew this well, was going to be the one where I'm like... that could be a tie. <laughs> I get very emotional when we... The crunch, Greg, the snap. And I was still watching footage of like Florence and Normandy. I'm like, can I see arts from where I'm sitting? <laughs> also gone in the past also few months and Um, hey everybody needs to i know like we're all giving our money to good efforts right now there's a lot out there including yemen which is like going through a huge is it yeah Huh. They're What's like people are Yemen? like starving in the streets. They're, didn't know uh, that. Now, oh, you didn't know about that? I'm even angry. Probably look into that. But also, now it seems so much more trivial. But uh, Old Town Music Hall's not looking good. What? They're like asking for money because they're huh. like, hey, we don't know if we're gonna make it out of this thing. Like a lot of people huh. were like, Pacific Dining Car in Santa Monica had to close and they auctioned off all their stuff. Four and twenty Blackbird Diner is gone, which oh, I yeah. feel like we talked about in the last episode. And then, sure enough, the curse of maybe if we talk about racism enough in this episode, it'll go. Away. It'll go away. It'll, it'll go. Out of business it'll lose its cool i mean it's asking for a lot of money right now in certain <laughs> states but maybe if we talk about it enough it can just die already yeah so, well let's talk about what we our thing of the month from the past month you go first because i have to remember what mine was mine is since i've been inside exclusively the only thing i have is i posted it on our instagram earlier in the month but that short film felicia oh yeah it was a short film made by some ucla students it was like a 10 minute documentary or whatever about this high school girl in watts named felicia and mm-hmm. her like what her life is like in Watson it was made like two three months before what we're going to be talking about yeah it was interesting to see like a first person's perspective yeah because there isn't as i'll go into there's not a lot of footage of watts mm-hmm. there's a lot of printed word but yeah. to hear someone actually talking and seeing it's them such a soft-spoken voice too yeah she's got a really nice relaxing <laughs> she does, voice. Yeah. <laughs> well because she's like a 16 yeah, exactly. 17 year old girl yeah. and it, and that's perfectly showing like why does she have to go through this yeah why does she have to live like this talking about like the differences just in like not just in schools but like just talking about just parks. In schools just like oh my god that's yeah and and just go, like talking about going to a park in her neighborhood which i don't even there's there's mm-hmm. very few in watts but like compared to what a park is like in the white part yeah, of town exactly trails and hills open spaces open spaces yeah <laughs> but yeah that's that i recommend watching that if you want better context that i can give for yeah. watts in 1965 and what'd you do <laughs> what well did you do before the protest started we had a uh, some people on instagram asking if we could i think we put a pitch mm. out there like like the Brady Bunch. The Brady. House. You put the you posted the Brady Bunch house, and then people were asking for the Golden Girls house, which I got a picture of. I went at night, and then I went back the next day to get a better picture during the day. But I also found Rod Serling's house, which I different knew during was the day. In, in Brentwood. And then we got some more requests and stuff, so I went around taking pictures. I know where the Ennis house is, but we went there. I went to the Double Indemnity house, which I've never mm-hmm. been to before, up on Beechwood in Hollywood. It's beautiful. I went to the Malcolm in the Middle house. You were <laughs> telling me about that. I, when I bring up the Double Indemnity house, you like jumped the opportunity to talk about the Malcolm in the Middle house. This is my Double Indemnity. 
them. To, <laughs> I can't be convicted twice for, <laughs> for breaking into show. the Malcolm in the Middle house. They tore down the Malcolm in the Middle house, yeah. so it's just like a, some, you know. Remind, it it looks like that? the house from Parasite now, <laughs> which could also be the name of the show. It's like a, a street or two up south of Ventura Boulevard where like the Barnes and Noble is. It's right, right there. Okay, cool. It's a really nice street. Yeah. Again, I've talked about how much I want to live in that neighborhood, and the more I learn about the world, the less I see that's going to be possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be very comfortable in apartments for the rest of my life. Uh, I don't know about comfortable. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of houses I'd like to... Uh, we, Rob. Uh, yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> B&E. B&E. <laughs> I know there's a lot just in like this neighborhood. You know what I did the other day? I, this could be a thing. I, I We were talking about last episode about the Strand in Santa Monica. Uh-huh. And I was talking about that really, like there's a street by the Strand that's real. I call it like Noir Alley because it's just like, so I wanted to go there. It's, uh, let me look it up real quick. But I, I was inside all day reading and I like, I, sometimes if I do that, I like throw a fit. It's the one. Casa del Mar is right there on the coast. That's a really beautiful hotel. That's that's the old Synanon headquarters. Yeah, that's the old Synanon yeah. headquarters. And then, like, there's a street beside it. Yeah. And that's that okay. street. I think yeah, it's that a, is Noir a, Alley, isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, a Parian Way or something. I think it's Noir Alley. We're a Papian Way. A Papian. Apian? Isn't the Apian Way the road that leads into yeah. Rome? How do you know that? Because it just came up when I was searching for it. <laughs> I was really impressed for a second. Wow. <laughs> that's actually pretty smart of you. Wow, that's not an old TV show. How do you know about it? Was there like an episode of I Love Lucy where they <laughs> took the APN way? Why are you like this? <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's the street. So I took a walk down there. Yeah, it was, it's incredible. Because the street is such a mix of beautiful houses mm-hmm. and kind of like grimy beach people. Yeah. Well, that's the high and the low that they're always talking about in noir. Tell them what else happened to you when you were at the beach that fateful night when you went into the water. Oh my God, that was a different day oh great so that you returned well, it was one morning where i woke up i don't know i wake up sometimes and i'm like i just get in the car and i go i just like i don't Something know i woke me. up with like need for speed baby um i went to redondo beach and i was just gonna eat breakfast in the bed of my truck like this with the, my rocking the ocean, chair. Uh, and i went i installed a grill <laughs> and beaches hadn't opened up yet so like you could only go from your car directly into the ocean you couldn't stop on the right. way which is fine by me i didn't really care the water was so beautiful it was such a nice day i'm like you know what i'm wearing shorts right now i have a towel here somewhere i'm gonna run jump in the ocean come back to my car i put 22 minutes in the meter and i like hustle down i i like i, I skip sunscreen and i walk and i'm going into the water about waist deep the water feels so good i'm about to go further and i see a gray fin pop out of the water and go back down and like i said before teleporting i was just back on the sand i didn't even realize that i ran away because you were trying to justify it to me of it's probably a dolphin and then the next day i saw like <laughs> tons of great white shark sightings around the coast of los angeles the scariest shark that you'll come across <laughs> you know the right one where you that's were. the reason you're afraid of sharks <laughs> and this is the one from the movie <laughs> But to my defense, I still went in. I still <laughs> not a good doused my body in water, even uh-huh. though I was sure that the next wave, it's going to be in the yeah. water to come get me. The next wave would have been the shark. Yeah, for sure. Why does but, this wave have teeth? <laughs> you're trying to pitch this to me as like, but I still went in. That's making me want to go in less. Like I, your experience is everything I'm afraid of. I'm, I'm fine. I did nothing happened to me. Why I'm telling you that I still went in is to show you that... I was scared and I still did it and I'm fine. A lesson that you could learn one day. No. If something bad could happen to me, don't do it. <laughs> That's the moral here. I'm finding out more and more that there are less people than I thought that actually like going in the water. Really? Yeah. Could have fooled me. I'm one me. of a rare breed. I, would, I operate under the assumption that everyone's exactly like me, so I don't know. <laughs> You sure do. Until they do something different, you're like, why are they wrong? Okay, so now let's get to this month. We have listener question. Okay. This one is from Emilio. What's the dealio on Instagram? <laughs> Not Emilio. It's a di- completely different person. So his question on Instagram is, do you two talk about LA differently than before 
you started the podcast yeah i know i for sure do because i mine was i when i talked about things around town it was always like crime or death related like this is where the hillside strangler dumped a body this is where night soccer got caught this is where the manson family lived now it's that still but also like this is where the original settlers decided they wanted to build a river (laughs) and then the night stalker found them um (laughs) yeah as we stack more and more information i found i've more and more become the person driving the car who's like you know that's the Mm -hmm. building where there was an old pet clinic yeah and judy garland had a pet that got <laughs> sick there i like to yeah. point out stuff especially to people coming in from out of town i've become right. the the point out guy the, the generous point people man. will call it a tour guide a real people will call it mansplaining and that's fine i uh, know it's not mansplaining if you explain it to other men <laughs> if, if you explain to other men well yeah when people will message us like hey what should we do when we come i have like better options than like yeah. here's a, where a place where a bunch of people got killed in the 50s like, but, I, but <laughs> it could happen to you too <laughs> even in terms of uh, looking at current events mm-hmm. like now that we know more about what's happened in the history i find being like yeah well what do you what, what did you expect exactly. from filling the government agency <laughs> what, did you, what did you expect from the sheriff's department uh, yeah, the LAPD, the law enforcement the, yeah. See, that's responsible for this uh, i think that i'm becoming more preservation minded now that we've done so much history and i'm like oh wow all this stuff that we talked about is gone and all these people are moving here we're having all these apartment complexes come up i'm my brain is more actively thinking about ways to fight to keep things yeah to coin a phrase it does put in perspective that time is a flat circle because you, you talk about like more people coming here like oh this happens yeah. what every 20 years there's yeah. a huge debate about we don't have enough houses for yeah. these 40 people who live turns here. out a bunch of people die and it's fine <laughs> so yeah well, uh, we're more we're well informed yeah i would say we're more informed, but somehow just as stupid as we were before wiser but still stupid still massively unintelligent and insensitive and sometimes very tone deaf and for that we apologize we literally giggle at everything bad or good okay let's get into the current events right now okay but let's start with that because this episode it's probably going to sound different because both of us are angry both of us are depressed and we're upset about what's going on right now yes but not not just what's going on now but but having what has been going on (laughs) times of maybe a century of well i mean if you want to look at a bigger picture four 400 years <laughs> well i was specifically talking about the police department but yeah you're right we are not historians no we are who we are who we are we're stupid people and we cope with things a lot of times by making fun of things yeah we joke around on this show if you're listening to us you know that you like that you like that don't you i'll learn to like it <laughs> as most traumatized kids will but i'll uh, just learn to adapt to that what did you just say <laughs> there's no trauma in this podcast no traumatized kids allowed but <laughs> don't bring your trauma here pal don't bring your old trauma here this is a place for fresh trauma <laughs> place for giggles i know that in it we we've gotten complaints in the past from people who have just like dipped into the podcast of like you know you're talking about this murder and you're laughing about stuff first of all i i think we've made a good we don't make fun of victims but true we make light of situations that could seem insensitive or what was the word you were using tone deaf tone deaf dismissive um uh, hang on i asked for one term that you're <laughs> you were using but yeah i mean for that we we do apologize we don't yeah. mean to offend anybody like we're we certainly don't think anything that's going on right now is funny no. or, or someone being murdered is funny unless it's a really bad person <laughs> this sort of thing we we don't find it funny but yeah. we to cope with it we might make fun of the situation surrounding it which is like it's ridiculous the, the situation is ridiculous yep. yeah i don't know we we don't mean to offend anybody but yeah. we also i can't 
look at things from such a serious lens because I'll go insane. Yeah, like it'll exactly. ki- it'll kill me. <laughs> yeah. I went through like a like a couple weeks on and off of just like slop brain. Yeah. Like my brain was my, just my like brain is lush. One little thing happening and then just screaming about like everything and then just And that scream exhausts me for days. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I I just want to say we don't mean to offend anybody. Yeah. How's it Except going? That car that just drove by. Hey, yeah, come on. Hey, 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 do you have microphones in there? <laughs> Let's just go into it with that in mind. I think I think this is going to be a different sort of episode, but still, if anything ever crosses the line, we don't we apologize. We're completely unaware of what we're doing. Yeah, I go into a fugue state when the record button gets. Hit. I wake up. I have blood in my mouth. I'm in the bushes. There's a deer next to me. And the theme from Cabaret is in my head for some reason. <laughs> this month, we're going to get into. We'll talk a little bit at the end about what's been going on for the past month in yeah. in terms of the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm -hmm. in the city but we're going to talk about two of the biggest two of the biggest civil unrests in the city that you thought wow things will never be the same again this will they could just reset (laughs) things will certainly be better after this (laughs) i'm going to go into watts 1965 you're going to do 1992 south central i have avoided the term riots it's, it's typically referred to as the uprising, uprising rebellion which yeah. i'm totally for we'll talk more mine's about a riot that. Yeah. <laughs> when we'll i was when i was death. posting pictures for when we wanted to acknowledge the protests were happening and we were in full support you know it, it's easy to find pictures of the watts like the aftermath and be like community coming together yeah. nobody really looks good 1992 not a lot of photos of people being like oh good job look let's let's get into let's let's start it out okay, we're going good. back what is it what was six 1965 that was 50 no 50 what was that 65 years ago ago? let me look that up calculate that yeah look up the time minus time calculator i have it i have 2020 minus if we can't do the math right now we we should be stripped of our podcast i can't do math ever it's 55 years let's get it started here we're already 30 minutes in or whatever and you've just been talking on and on about how much you want me to get eaten by sharks Um, i don't want it i just want you to be okay with it i don't want it you want it (laughs) time for a real high voltage story a full 1965 watts that is oh my god (laughs) again every time you do the first opening sentence i'm just picturing like brainstorm charts on the wall i cracked open the old homonym dictionary (laughs) okay so for a lot of people read white what happened in 1965 watts seemed like it came out of nowhere right so before we get into what did happen let's first take a quick overview of what that community was going through at the time like i was talking about with you could watch felicia if you don't want to hear me pop in felicia right now pop in your vhs of felicia right now between 1940 and 1965 the black population in LA went from 75,000 in 1940 to in 1965 650,000 people giant that's a huge pop let's let's do the math calculator on that that's 25 years that's like twice the age of me (laughs) that's 650,000 that's like half your age most of these people were living in South LA okay because of the racial housing covenants for most of that period and just racial racism they couldn't spread out around the city like everyone else who came here here did they all had to cram into this one section of town we talked about that in our central avenue episode more about how i think it was hattie mcdaniel kind of like broke down the housing yeah covenants and i forget what neighborhood it was she lived in it was like west adams or it was something like that she was like the first 
black person and she's like well i have money i'm moving here yeah like, why would you uh, i want an academy award i think i'm gonna move we also talked about god uh, mariah in the la plaza field trip talked about was it redlining i don't remember <laughs> I don't okay, we'll skip that uh, again we've talked about so much history yeah. everything's blending into one exactly, I, whatever yeah. she said i said yeah so there was also there was the rumford fair housing act mm-hmm. but that protected black residents from housing discrimination so this was a good thing but yeah. in 1964 one year before what we're going to be talking about and the same year that the civil rights act was passed california passed prop 14 with 65 percent of the vote which nullified this housing act so once again housing restrictions were enforced so california went out of their way to make sure that black people had to live in certain parts of town it's called segregation yeah <laughs> wait what's that term you were using for <laughs> tone deaf in watts in particular it was technically an integrated part of town but de facto segregation was still in full effect. right this, this is illustrated by the fact that 99 percent of the kids in the schools there were black and you mm-hmm. could bet the schools weren't up to par with schools in the white parts of town right so two-thirds of the people living there never graduated high school even the homes in watts were run down only 13 percent of the houses there were younger than 25 years old like me Sorry, I'm, I was listening to the birds for a second. I'm like, are they getting louder? And then I turned to catch you talking about how you're an infant penis or whatever. <laughs> there were hundreds of homicides a year in and around Watts at this time. So this is this is what's going on. On top of that, LA was the only major city in the US at the time with an anti-poverty program. Mm-hmm. What's that? Without, sorry. Well, oh, without. without yeah. Got it. This isn't a good thing. This is a bad thing. Bad it was thing. the only one without an anti-poverty program right. that might have helped make this situation better. That means just like money from the federal government to help these schools maybe to, right. to not have, a, what was it, a two-thirds of the people dropping out of high school. Right. Not only did we not have that, the city refused the federal government's money when they offered to pay for it. Wow, one. They really? said, we do not want that. Did it stink of communism? And they're like, we don't do that here. The excuses oh the excuses that chief parker makes afterwards parker 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 i hate him go ahead yeah i feel like in the past we might have in certain respects like oh he seems like a good guy well he reformed the police after they were corrupt for so many years but he did that by turning them into the military yeah and then basically don't be corrupt against each other be corrupt against one particular group (laughs) so with the city actively ignoring this community it's no surprise that there were years and years of incidents and crimes against black people perpetrated by the government in specific the LAPD. Mm-hmm. Police Chief William H. Parker sought to make Parker. Parker. He sought to make the city safer by being proactive and stopping crime, which intentionally or not, but knowing Parker probably intentionally, it translated to harassing a lot of black men on the streets. Yeah. Just going up, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, he. I was reading. There's a really good book called Policing Los Angeles, and they talk a lot about his ideologies and stuff. And one of them was like, we have such a broad space to cover, and we only have so many cops. It's like one cop for every 200. Something ridiculous like that. So he one says cop like. For every girl and he says like backup might be like minutes away or even longer so if you see someone that looks like a suspect you get out you get them and you put them in the car and then you go and it's like okay well that's racial profiling yeah. <laughs> that's harassment we have precogs downtown <laughs> it's fine we know what we're doing so in just the few years leading up to 1965 which is the date the, yeah. or the year in 1961 a black man was arrested in Griffith Park for riding the merry-go-round without a ticket to the city's credit though this when this was happening a group of people at the merry-go-round started throwing rocks and bottles at the cops to right. leave this guy alone I <laughs> heard about that yeah. riding the merry-go-round in 19- Disney's merry-go-round yeah. the one <laughs> Did- where he has a bench that was like I used to sit here in 
1962, the LAPD raided a nation of Islam mosque and killed an unarmed black man inside. This also led to protests in 1963 and 64. 65 black men in total were killed by the LAPD. 27 were shot in the back. 25 of those were unarmed. In 1964, the LAPD investigators only disciplined officers in three out of 42 alleged brutality cases. Parker. 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 To the city's credit, again, during these two years, there were 250 demonstrations against the LAPD in those two years, 1963 and 64. He, okay, we'll get into how he felt about civil rights. Uh, Did he ever go on and say, sorry, I was ever insensitive? We're better than Parker. (laughs) In covering these incidents and the incidents like it, the media mostly focused the blame on the victims, of course, and completely ignored the brutality of the LAPD and the racism of the police chiefs, Chili chief. Yeah, the police chili chili chiefs, which thankfully is something that has never, ever, never (laughs) happened again. All of this, of course, prompted an Urban League report in 1964 to crown Los Angeles the best city in the United States for black people. (sighs) I I love these government reports that are like, it's perfect. If we figured it out, it's perfect. The government and the media, always on the right side of history and connected to the mood of the people. Um, This was the situation in Watts leading up to August 11th, 1965. It's the early evening of a hot summer day. Very hot. Very hot. It's 94 degrees. Picture this. A lot of people don't have air conditioners. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why people were out on the street. A little before 7 p.m., a car pulls up to a California Highway Patrol officer on a motorcycle. So the officer on the motorcycle was Lee W. Manikis. He was 31 years old. He was white. I don't know the driver of the car's name that pulled up to him, but he was black. The guy in the car points out to Manikis a 1955 Buick special that otherwise Manikis would not have noticed the car was speeding and swerving. Yeah. So the man in the car who pulled up, this is already getting confusing. Yeah. The, the man in the car who pulled up to Manikis, he expressed concerns that this was a drunk driver and being a hot night, there's a lot of people out on the street. He doesn't want anyone getting hit. So Manikas followed the car up El Segundo Boulevard and down Avalon until he finally put on his siren and pulled the car over near Avalon and 116th in front of the El Bethel Missionary Baptist Church in Watts. Driving the car was a 21-year-old man named Marquette Fry. He was born 1944 in Oklahoma, raised in Hannah, Wyoming. His dad was a sharecropper. His mom, Rena, cleaned houses and did babysitting. In 1957, they moved to LA. I'm not sure if his dad was still in the picture, but Rena continued working, cleaning, and babysitting in Watts. So she was no around the neighborhood as the lady everybody <laughs> she was like basically everyone's mom. everyone's mom yeah, yeah. i like that every yeah. neighborhood probably has a lady, <laughs> yeah, the lady the where's lady. your jacket where's your jacket on this 94 degree <laughs> night um, I'm make sure you're not wearing it <laughs> so marquette he had never experienced racism or even heard the n-word until he moved to la Jeez. and he eventually dropped out of john c fremont high school at age 16 he was involved in a gang for a little bit and kind of just floated from job to job so he was driving and in the passenger seat was his stepbrother ronald so Ron was about to go away to join the army and Marquette's two-year parole for strong-arm robbery had just ended. So the two went out to celebrate. They had a few beers. Now they were pulled over for drunk driving, which if you're black or you're not white or you're white and have seen any TV show or movie that addresses systemic racism, you know this is a situation that is not good. This can easily go bad when a white officer pulls over a black driver. So now the exact specifics of what happened next vary depending on anyone you ask, but the general gist of what happened, it's all the same. Everyone knows generally what happened happens. Marquette gets out of the car and Manikis had him do a sobriety test, which he failed. Marquette later admitted that he was in fact drunk. 
So Manikas said, you're under arrest. It was going along without an incident. Mm-hmm. But since everyone was outside from the heat, a crowd started to gather to watch what was happening. Because yeah. in this community, when a white cop pulls over a black driver, it usually didn't end well. So people wanted to keep an eye on the situation. By all accounts, Marquette knew he had been busted and he was in, he knew like, all right, you, you caught me. Sit, yeah. I got busted. But he was also in good spirits. Right. And he also didn't want to get his car towed, which is the big thing. Well, his brother it's all get into it there's a million different perspectives of what was exactly going on he was joking around with the crowd and with the officer as well whether or not he was doing this out of his personality or just because he he knew how bad this sort of encounter with the law enforcement went or could go for people like him he wanted to purposely put the officer at ease up for debate right but regardless things were going as smoothly as they could now this is where i read two different things happened (laughs) either it became clear that the car was going to be impounded so ronald ran to get their mom rena the lady Yes. Or somebody not related went to get Rena because her kids were being arrested. Yeah. That's when the mood of the situation changed. Here, it also splits off into two more things. Yeah. <laughs> One was that Marquette, before his mom got there, started getting sick of the situation because the crowd was growing. And mm-hmm. another CHP officer named Bob Lewis got called in by Manikas because he was afraid of the growing crowd. The officers kept questioning Marquette and they were asking him what his eye color is. What, what's your hair color and all that. And he finally said, my hair is black. My eyes are black. I'm black all over and I'm proud of it. That's pretty cool. What were you going to say? <laughs> Why are they so question? him like they already that that's why that's what kind of confused me about this version of the story yeah again like there's there's so many different versions of what the the steps of what happened i failed sobriety test you got me i'm not resisting arrest why are you still asking me okay yeah that could be it or maybe that's not exactly what happened yeah okay okay but the other version is that he was going along with everything until his mom showed up and started yelling at marquette because he was driving drunk and who who first of all who wants to get yelled at by their mom and also in front of a crowd yeah um, that is scarier than being arrested in front of a crowd and your mom be, yelling. Yeah. It's just your mom yelling you in front of a crowd is just as yeah. Like everything, every, it just like piled up. Whatever happened, he yeah. got upset and he started refusing to go along with what the officers wanted. Right. Either way, now what we have are two white officers, Ronald, Rena, and Marquette there, who does not want to be arrested by the officers and a growing crowd of onlookers. So this is when Marquette started yelling that the officers would have to kill him if they wanted to take him away. That was when the CHP officers called for backup right. from. The LAPD claiming that there was a hostile crowd growing. Right. I mean, that's like catnip for the LAPD. (laughs) This is not a good situation. Again, there was no way at the time to record any of what happened here. So there's a lot of different accounts even further. But something along the lines of this happened. The backup CHP officer, Bob Lewis, tried to hit Marquette on the shoulder with his baton since he was, quote unquote, resisting arrest. But he missed and hit him above the eye, which drew blood. Not a good look. No, that may or may not have made Marquette collapse, but he seemed to have gotten up and then backed up into Manikas's arms who then grabbed him and Ronald who was trying to protect his brother punched Manikas in the kidney and then Rena to protect both of her sons jumped on Manikas's back who then seems to have pulled out his gun okay or she jumped on his back because he pulled out his gun and he ended up pushing her again it's not it's not what we do know she jumped on someone's back yeah a gun was shown there was pushing there was brutality yeah either way Rena was now in handcuffs and Marquette to protect his mom then took a swing at Manikas which resulted in him also being in handcuffs and Ronald as well I guess for good measure. I don't know. Yeah. Well, he did. Maybe he might have punched the guy. I don't know. So it was now 723 and Marquette, Ronald and Rena were under arrest around the same time as the LAPD were arriving. And there was now a crowd of almost a thousand people Ooh. watching this whole thing happen. Thank God nobody got killed. Nobody right. got killed in this situation. And also a crowd of a thousand. Yeah. I'm sure like, well, it didn't get so deep. I know that, but yeah. like, you can be so deep that you don't even know what's going on, but you're just responding to the the energy of the crowd. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was sort of a thing. You'll see rumors were 
spreading through the yeah. crowd of what was going on and just yeah like a feeling was going through like uh, leave us alone yeah like it's hot keep in mind it's hot, hot. you've yeah. seen do the right thing it's a hot <laughs> day and sometimes people just don't want this yeah i mean they never want this but right. like when it's 94 degrees and you're just trying to stay cool outside like and the, leave he, us alone and yeah anyway those three were forced into a cop car and taken to the station but now the lapd was there with the crowd of people who were rightfully angry over just witnessing what ended up being a typical encounter between a black man and a white law enforcement officer which was filled with unnecessary brutality yes no debate that's what happened yeah rena later claimed she wasn't abused by the cops but there's no denying marquette got hit people were being hit yeah and for what a drunk driving DUI that they pulled him over for before he hit anybody again i'm getting angry (laughs) (laughs) but those three were out of the picture and the crowd was angry and the lapd backup had a long ugly history with crowds of black people so they tried to disperse the crowd by many accounts they were using racial slurs as their main tactic and as they were trying to leave someone in the crowd spat on one of the officers and an officer went back into the crowd and for whatever reason decided a woman named joyce ann Gaines had been the one who spat so they grabbed her by the hair and threw her on the ground jesus brutality continued i was thinking like i wonder if people should make a donation to a charity every time you spot police brutality in this episode (laughs) wasn't she pregnant here get here joyce was a hairdresser right and she was wearing a smock which for some reason oh. made people think she was pregnant okay, okay she wasn't and i'm sure on top of all these horrible things that were happening she also didn't appreciate everyone saying she's pregnant <laughs> so now word started to spread exactly through the crowd that cops were assaulting a pregnant woman which made people even angrier the crowd gathered around joyce to protect her and even more cops got called in and they then arrested another guy who they accused of inciting violence which is rich and (laughs) apparently apparently at one point there were 10 cops manhandling this one unarmed black man who was already in handcuffs oh my god it was now 745 and this is basically when the watts uprising officially began 745 august 11 1965 the cops got away with their victims but the crowd remained so they came back the cops a couple times to try to disperse the crowd and by the third time the cops dared to show their faces again that's when people started throwing rocks and bottles at them and the other cars that had piled up because this caused a huge traffic jam right this was a small street so the streets were blocked off so now people were throwing things at cars when they came back or oh just at cars at car well first it's the cops came back a third they came back and they're like what are you (laughs) what are you doing here again so again the exact details of who hit who and who did what are hard to pick out but what happened was that a routine traffic violation turned ugly and the cops as you can always depend on them to do were unnecessarily aggressive and violent with a group of black people and now there was a crowd of people who were pissed off and decided then and there that they didn't want to put up with this anymore that first night it wasn't too big i don't think any or many cops if there were any were there to try to stop anything but some windows were smashed a car was set on fire at imperial and avalon the next morning though rena and her two sons were released from the police station where they were quickly informed that they had started a revolution <laughs> they had no idea because they were in jail you, how you got drunk last night exactly guess were, what they were in jail so they they had no idea what was happening and yeah. they come outside and they're like yeah whoa yeah what are you guys up heavy (laughs) they had no idea this was happening that morning an emergency meeting by the la county human relations commission was called at athens park emergency meeting in attendance was rena herself they had watts community leaders representatives from the naacp representatives from the lapd in addition to just people from the community were there the purpose of this meeting was supposed to bring calm to the situation and prevent it from escalating what it became was a much needed venue for the people of watts and the surrounding community to express their anger and vent their complaints about how their community was being treated by the government Mm -hmm. so this was a healthy thing that was going on most people were calling for peace
peace and demanding that change be made. But at a certain point during the meeting, a teenager took the microphone and called for more of what happened the night before and this time said, let's move into the white parts of town and start attacking things. I guess who doesn't like to hear that? Guess which part of this meeting got covered by the press? <sighs> Only that. That's God, all they talked That's all they talked about. Headline, black teenagers want to invade you Beverly mean, Hills um, or whatever. Harry Chandler only covered that? <laughs> Notorious Confederate support. <laughs> I don't know if he's a better racist. <laughs> the media ignored the conversation and dialogue that had been going on before this and only reported that a teenager called for attacks on white parts of town. Right. That night, things escalated. Cars were flipped over on the street. More businesses were smashed up. This was when looting began. A lot of people were looting just to get things that they needed but couldn't afford. Some people went too far. Emphasis on some people went too yeah, far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big target were pawn shops because people wanted guns to protect themselves. Right. That's why they were going into pawn shops. The cops did nothing to prevent the looting. Molotov cocktails were thrown. Buildings were burned. It was kind of a breaking point where a lot of people felt basically, this is what you've pushed us to. Yeah. You know, like people were saying things like, this is what you think of us. This is what the police wanted. Then we'll give you what you think of us. Yeah. You know, people were shouting, this is for Selma. There was, oh, there's right. so much yeah. behind this. Others were chanting to get the white man. White drivers were pulled out of their cars and beaten, which is terrifying. Like uh, that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> as a white man um, <laughs> who drives a car. <laughs> I mean, that happened in 1990. Too also, did, yeah. which is unfortunate, but like at the same time, like look I what call it like blind to. rage. It's like blind rage. It's almost like everyone's not entirely blind. <laughs> You're right, but not entirely it, blind. it is. It is rage, and it's not. I. I mean, I don't even want to say if it's right or wrong, but like, look what they've been it, pushed to. Yeah, don't. I don't even want to judge the situation, except look what they've been pushed to. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Melissa's mom grew up in Watts. She actually lived in Watts during. Spoiler alert: Melissa's white, and so is her mom. <laughs> but <laughs> since when? Not when I've seen her. <laughs> I think her mom was like five or something at the Jeez, time and yeah. she was at a friend's house and her grandma or somebody was like you've got to get out of Watts right now and they all while this was happening like snuck out I yeah. think her mom had to like duck in the back of the car and they drove them and Jeez. stayed I think their family lived in Long Beach or something like that and yeah. they, they stayed there for a few days I mean no one wanted this oh, yeah, nobody's no, no, happy no, no. about this situation it, it's, yeah. it's horrible this was all still around the Watts area mind you it hadn't spread to the white that never happened and never went to the white areas it was all around watts there was no invasion of beverly hills or yeah. anything like that three different groups put out a bounty on manikas's head he lived in norwalk and his neighbor's guarded house but as far as i'm aware nobody ever came it was just talk yeah. again people were just angry that second night there were seven thousand people in the streets this was the first seven thousand people this was the first night though that gunfire started so okay. things started getting scary 75 people were injured that night only 13 were cops no deaths yet. Dozens of buildings along Avalon were burned, but when firefighters came to put out the fires, they were shot at to just people just let the buildings burn. Yeah. Another chant was burn, baby, burn. As people say, burn it all down. Don't try to stop this. Yeah. And this was just night number two. Yeah. <laughs> the next morning, the police confidently reported that the situation was now well in hand. At 9 a.m., people took back to the streets, yeah. and that's when Mayor Sam Yorty called in the National Guard. Right. Leaders around L.A., they were urging Chief Parker to send in black officers mm-hmm. of the LAPD who may 
maybe would have handled the situation better, but Parker refused because he wanted the National Guard. Governor Brown was in Greece at the time, so the lieutenant governor was in charge. It took him six hours to approve the request, another six hours for them to arrive in Watson. Boy, did they not help the situation at all. (laughs) Some of the scariest footage because it's at night and the cameras can't capture that far. They don't, it's not like deep photography. So like out of the darkness, people are just screaming and then just men with guns come by. It's the National Guard. Like, I don't know what they did in the last month. I don't think the National Guard were that brutal here. No, I don't think so. They, I think they were just here. But last time, or not last, second to last time, they were bad. Like, I think they might've caused more damage than the LAPD. They were not good to have around. And I read something about they had a troop of maybe I'm getting this wrong but like they had a troop of an integrated troop of National Guard soldiers in Long Beach who they're like we could be there in 30 minutes and try to yeah but Parker or your or whoever the lieutenant governor was was like no I want an all-white troop coming from like Fresno or something (laughs) anyway now there were 13,900 National Guardsmen and almost 2,000 LAPD and county officers in and around Watts 13,000 for for a contained area this isn't widespread and there were 7,000 people in the street so they wanted let's let's double let's triple how many yeah. people so the looting and burning and gunfire continued but now there were trigger happy military soldiers involved and they shot a lot of innocent people and that third day was when the first death happened it was a young man he was caught in the crossfire and killed by the National Guard another guy was leaving a barbershop in 89th and Broadway got killed by the National Guard a guy named Charles Pfizer who was in a doo-wop band called the Olympics that did an earlier version of Good Lovin mm-hmm. he was on his way to band practice and he got killed oh my god they claimed that there were snipers shooting from rooftops at the cops right there was one at 104th and wilmington but i saw a picture and it was one cop ducking behind a car while other cops and passersbys were just kind of standing there <laughs> so i don't know how much of a sniper this really was <laughs> other than just maybe a guy was on a roof shooting at this one cop i don't know the national guard dug trenches at the intersections to keep people inside the area so now they're cops were cutting trees on the street so people couldn't climb up them and throw things from them there was a sign leading into a stretch of watts that warned turn left or get shot. I've seen that sign before. Yeah. Cops were raiding apartment buildings. By the end of the third day, the uprising covered 46.5 square miles. The area of Alameda on the east, Crenshaw on the west, and Rosecrans on the south were essentially under a military lockdown in Los Angeles. Yeah. <sighs> the area was in chaos and people were terrified and sleeping on their floor in case bullets came through their windows. <laughs> Comedian Dick Gregory. I know Dick Gregory. He went into the <laughs> neighborhood to try to, he oh tried to calm down the looters and the cops or the National Guard shot him in the leg to which he yelled back all right god damn it you shot me now go home (laughs) so dick gregory i thought he got shot in the butt I don't, and maybe it was the upper leg. Okay, I don't know. The upper leg. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny, though. To get shot and be like, I got a zinger for this. Never go into a gunfight unarmed <laughs> without a zinger is Dick Gregory's motto. So this third day was by far the worst and wasn't helped by Parker going on the radio saying things like, it is estimated that by 1970, 45% of the metropolitan area of Los Angeles will be Negro. If you want any protection for your home and family, you're going to have to get in and support a strong police department. If you don't come 1970, God help you. Uh, I believe the word they're using is copaganda. Uh, or just racism. Yeah. That, that's, not mean, even, hey. that's not even hey. that's not even ganda. It's copacism. <laughs> and also, he was also saying that Muslims were infiltrating the crowds and causing the trouble. And also, somehow, communists are a problem, too. Yeah. You're kidding. No. He blamed communists later on. He also said that the people in Watts were behaving like monkeys in a zoo. 
This is what the police chief of Los Angeles yep. said. To calm things down. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. This was yeah. his plan. So these charming comments by that charming, rotting sack of mayonnaise, of course, made things worse. And of course, they were repeated over and over by the media. And of yeah. course, the voices of the actual people inside of Watts were largely ignored by the yeah. media. It wasn't just Watts, though. At the same time, there were demonstrations and uprisings breaking out in Pasadena, Wilmington, Long Beach, Monrovia, and Pacoima oh, at really? the same time as this. Things continued into a fourth day, which was when an 8 p.m curfew was put into effect within black neighborhoods but things were already starting to die down by then but parker once again managed to outdo himself when he then summed things up perfectly by saying on the radio now we're on top and they're on the bottom some of the things he said i'm like oh you know exactly what you're you know the problems you're (laughs) causing exactly his whole thing with law and order i said in mine i'll skip it but his biggest threat to law and order was civil unrest or like civil rights he knew exactly where certain he thought certain people belonged yeah a very big philosophy in in the great white spot a bad system that we've built upon yeah 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 we keep saying we fixed for 55 years after (laughs) this so this was saturday and by monday there were only two 252 guardsmen left in the area and on tuesday the curfew was listed essentially marking the end of the watts uprising lifted lifted what did i say listed listed um <laughs> on august 17th so it was, it was six days it lasted okay. but never to miss out on the last atrocity the lapd on the 18th surrounded the headquarters of the la chapter of the nation of islam at 5606 south broadway at 2 a.m under claims that they were stockpiling weapons they claimed they came under fire they didn't and they started firing back they tear gassed the sewers so nobody could escape raided the mosque arrested 59 people a fire mysteriously broke out and the mosque burned down mm-hmm. no guns were found so weird yeah interesting. hey did you hear that they're stockpiling guns i did hear that they stockpiled them so well you can't even see them <laughs> i guess the tear gas must have melted them <laughs> like i said the uprising lasted six days at the end of that thirty-four thousand people had been involved in one way or another with this over 600 yeah. buildings were looted or burned 200 buildings were destroyed completely entire blocks were burned down 103rd street became known as charcoal alley because it was just a smoldering stretch of rubble the salvation army was giving out meals to families at markham middle school there were 40 million dollars in damages making it the most expensive uprising of the civil rights era it was more destructive than the seven uprisings on the east coast from the year before combined unfortunately it was also more violent than than those ones over 3,500 people were arrested mostly for burglary or theft 132 people were injured 118 of those were shot and 34 were killed so of the killed people one was a firefighter who died when a wall collapsed on him one was a sheriff who died of friendly fire and one was a cop who was shot. Yeah. That means 31 out of 34 people that died were black. 26 were deemed justifiable homicides and 23 of those were at the hands of the LAPD and the National Guard. And what about the rest? Yeah. Were any officers or soldiers brought to trial? No. Not that I saw. None of them. Anyway. It's as a wartime <laughs> rule where we get to kill people and it's not a crime. They're not Americans. They're enemies because <laughs> the National Guard was here. As to the, Jesus. As to, is, I know. As to that raid on the Nation of Islam headquarters, a judge pressed no charges and blamed it on the imagination of the LAPD, which is kind of like, you get it, right? So why aren't you punishing them? Yeah. Parker refused to go before a committee to explain why that raid on the Nation of Islam happened. Once it was all it's over. It's great when you think you're above the law. 
and above explanation. Well, when you are the law, you are yeah, above the you, law. Yeah. When you are the law, you can step on that little stool and be yeah, above the law. You can make law. whatever law you want. Yeah. Once it was all over, black people knew what happened, but white people struggled to understand. So they did what white people do best and they formed a committee. <laughs> it was called the McCone Commission and they published a 101-page report that confirmed what the people of Watts had been trying to tell them the entire time the cause was yeah. racism. Mm-hmm. Took 101 pages. The report blamed unemployment, bad housing, bad school, recognized right. the deeper causes of the They've riots. seen Felicia. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, like they would ever. Well, is Clark Gable in this one? I know. Is Clark Gable another Confederate soldier <laughs> in this one? So they recognized the deeper causes of the riots, which we'll get into a little bit more, and suggested improving the local public services and schools and healthcare and job training and public transit and all sorts of things governments like to promise and never follow through with. And sure enough, they never followed through with it. Yep. Los Angeles seemed to just kind of ignore this report. Instead, Chief Parker said, none of this would have happened if the LAPD hadn't been handling the black community this whole time with, as he put it, kid gloves. So if only they were rougher with them. Yeah. How they- is you're clearly not seeing what the problem is and no, he, and like no communication I mean he sees the problem every day when he looks in the mirror <laughs> to put on his uh, Dapper Dan hair gel or whatever I hate Phil Parker <laughs> he saw Watts as an act of war and furthermore blamed Muslims and the commies yeah. in regards to the growing black community and what he apparently saw as his city he said we didn't ask for you that was his response really yeah that's what he said about the influx in the black community we didn't ask for you an elected official said Mm -hmm. that he went on the news afterwards saying how right his LAPD was in their behavior and he got a lot of support yeah one step higher than Parker, Mayor Yorty said police brutality was a lie. The white people in the city were inclined to agree with these two mayonnaise dumps. They they were blaming it on black men with criminal records, black right. Muslims, black gang members, and it caused a lot of white people to be even more scared of their black mm-hmm. neighbors, who, as a reminder, weren't even allowed to live next to them yeah, anymore. Yeah, they're not my neighbors. Exactly. They're <laughs> my neighbors in concept, yeah. <laughs> but within like a 10-mile radius, no. And boy, did white people buy a lot of guns after this. Big spike in guns bought by white people. People. No surprise. No. Again, we talk about time as a flat like this is exactly yeah. what we see. The LA Times, meanwhile, got a Pulitzer Prize for their The View from Watts seven-part series coverage that came out a couple months later. Like I was telling you, it's yeah. a, one guy, one modern reader of it was like, you didn't know. You didn't get it. You didn't get anything that was going on. Why did you get a Pulitzer for this? On the other hand, though, this did at least spur the Times to hire some black reporters. Yeah. But like I said, none of the reforms that were suggested were implemented in the city. In 1966, the city even voted down down a proposal to build a hospital near Watts, which meant that there wasn't a hospital within eight miles of Watts. Statewide, the uprising had more of an effect, surprisingly, when in 1966, Prop 14 got deemed unconstitutional and was repealed. So now the, the racial ca- housing covenants are, right. are again illegal. Uh, We're real this time. Yeah. The downside of this, though, was that this helped Reagan get elected governor under a promise that he would never let something like Watts happen again. So everyone, oh, please. Oh, please. please anything. The Gipper. Give me the Gipper. <laughs> but this Tell one, me more about jelly beans or whatever. Yeah, I'll vote for Vice President Jellybean. <laughs> I hate Reagan, too. But Go ahead. This was the white side of the aftermath yes. that we were just talking about. On August 17th, the last day of the uprising, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to town. When he comes to, to Los Angeles, I always get like, oh, he was here? What did I you know. see? Where was he? What did well, that's what I was thinking of like, wow, th- this will change things. But listen what happened. He oh, wanted boy. to see with his own eyes what had gone on in Watts, but he wasn't entirely welcomed by neither the white 
or the black communities. Really? He gave a speech to a black crowd in Westminster and they were heckling him because there was a feeling that after what they had all been through the previous six days and what they had been going through, they felt like there was a disconnect between their experience and what Martin Luther King was saying. Right. He was being diplomatic and trying to get things done through the government, but people were angry yeah. and they didn't want to get things done that way. And they were feeling the change being promised by this man who to many of them felt like just another figurehead. Like they didn't right. believe in that anymore. Yeah. He's so, a guide, not a movement. And he also like, he's not a politician, but to them, he kind of was like, you're just one of them. Yeah. Like you, you're saying you're fighting for us, but how come we're still suffering? Right. The people at this meeting didn't want to hear what he had to say. They wanted to be talking to Chief Parker and to Mayor Yorty. And okay, he promised the crowd that he would get those two to come down to talk to them. And he said, I know you will be courteous to them, to which they all laughed uproariously. Oh, boy. <laughs> Martin Luther King, he said that the problem here was environmental and not racial, the economic deprivation, social isolation, inadequate housing, and general despair of thousands of Negroes teeming in northern and western ghettos are the ready seeds which gave birth to tragic expressions of violence, which was true, but people didn't want explanations. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted change. Yeah. He never got Parker and Yordi to come down to talk face-to-face to the people of Watts, but he himself did have a closed-door meeting with Yordi, where apparently Yordi yelled at Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. Dr. Martin Luther, he got yelled at by the white mayor of Los Angeles, and he refused the idea of a civilian police review board. Yordi later said that Martin Luther King did a great disservice to the people of LA and the nation. So in LA, he wasn't able to bring much of an effect, but he said that this uprising was the beginning of a stirring of those people in our society who have been passed by the progress of the last decade. This was a different sort of fight than what was going on in the South at the yeah. time, which Martin Luther King was, he was getting stuff done there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the South, he was organizing people for rights, but in the North, the struggle was for dignity and work. Like we had the law, except for the housing thing, yeah. like the laws were behind them, but not in spirit at all. I think it was Malcolm X. He compared white racism between the North and the South as the Southern wolf who will bear his teeth at you and growl, but there's also the Northern fox who will smile while he destroys you behind your back. So that was the difference in the fight going on. Right. What he saw here did help Martin Luther King to organize the Southern Christian Leadership Conference to march north. So this did inspire him to do, you know, the big big thing. (laughs) He also spoke with President Johnson after this and recommended a federal anti-government, federal anti-government which would be great Um, a federal anti-poverty program for the city which we know LA would refuse and he also got Johnson to launch a nationwide poverty relief program because of what he saw in Watts but of course most of the funding for this was diverted the second the Vietnam War started so obviously everyone had a different experience and view of what happened in Watts it's no question in the year 2020 what the subtext of Watts was but back then and still today there's confusion about why such violence would erupt and far be it from the whitest of the two white boys talking right now to be explaining that but I'm in this deep and I need to sum things up (laughs) I'm on my last page (laughs) just give me a couple more (laughs) one of the most common things you'll hear regarding what happened in Watts is this why would you want to destroy your own neighborhood Mm -hmm. that that was the common complaint to that I answer your question with another question how can you destroy your own neighborhood when that neighborhood was never yours they weren't attacking themselves because they were rarely even given the opportunity to actually take ownership 
ownership in the neighborhood. That was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Very few businesses in Watts were black owned and the ones that were, aside from maybe a couple, were untouched during all of this. People were looting and burning white businesses almost exclusively. Yeah. The few black businesses, just like today, they boarded up and put up signs that were saying black owned and mm-hmm. most community buildings also were untouched because that's for us. Yeah. Not only were they white businesses that were being attacked, but they were also places that were notorious for taking advantage of black customers. Mm-hmm. Furniture stores that were charging high prices for low quality furniture. Supermarkets that were known for selling rotten food. <sighs> On top of that, a lot of the damage was actually outside of Watts proper. So if you want to get pedantic with me, let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's someone else's neighborhood. Yeah. You want to get into boundaries of cities? Let's do it. But yes, Watts was hurt bad from the uprising and yeah. it took a long time to recover. But what was Watts even before this? Yeah, exactly. Like recover to what? It was already bad. Yeah. A lot of people didn't want to go back to that, which is why in the years following this, a lot of people in the community took it upon themselves to get involved politically and in the community to create the change that they wanted to see. A lot of young black people became Black Panthers. A lot of gang members, like you were saying, yeah. they started using their power in the community to help out community yeah. programs. A lot of those things were for youth, well, for people, young kids. Yeah, they're not going to help us. Let's help ourselves. Yeah. Even though today Watts is mostly Latino, there are way more community changes that happen because of the uprising, but there's still a lot of problems going on there right now. But let's not forget that all this started between two people. Manikis, the CHP officer, stayed at his job until 1986. He later defended that he was just doing his job, but also that he should not have arrested him. But he also felt like he had to because he already said he was going to, and he didn't want to be seen as going back on his word, which I don't want to defend cops in this, but like that's the problem right there. You don't want to lose face, so you're going to hit this guy over the head. Continue down this dark path. Exactly. He and Marquette actually met up a few times afterwards to discuss what had happened. One feeling that the two shared, though, was that neither of them wanted to be looked at as the one who started the so-called Watts riots. They didn't want that. Who does? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Who would want that title? For Marquette, this was a much more damaging legacy, though. After this, he was seen by the black community either as a hero or he was a troublemaker, but he didn't want to be seen as either of them. He had done nothing wrong to warrant the treatment he got, and he had done nothing heroic other than being made an example of unwillingly. And the label of hero or villain put a lot of pressure on him. He didn't want to be associated with any of it. He, along with many of his family members who got hassled after this, changed his last name to his mom's maiden name and also went by a new first name. So now he he wasn't Marquette Fry, he's Marcus Price now. He wasn't an activist. He didn't know much about Martin Luther King or the whole civil rights movement until after all this happened. He wasn't trying to make a point to the police that day. He was just standing up for himself. He said, all I knew that day is that I was tired of being treated bad by a policeman. That's Mm -hmm. it. But he ended up being used as a symbol by black activists and was often expected to come and say something profound at a civil rights rally, which he deeply resented that. He would be invited to parties by rich black families in Baldwin Hills so that they could show him off. Like, look at my friend. My God. He didn't want this. Of course he wanted to fight for change, but as he put it not just as the dude who started the Watts uprising. He wanted to do it on his own terms. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see something good come of it all, but some things never change. Meanwhile, his life continued to not be easy. He stayed in Watts the rest of his life and stayed involved in the community. Apparently, there's an eagle at the 109th Street Elementary School that's painted by him, which would be cool to find. (laughs) Parts of the community were very protective of him in terms of who they would let bother him for interviews. Like I read one thing of a guy who would interview him over the years and they'd like blindfold the 
guy, bring him into this building, and Marcus would be in the building. And talk to him. He's just um, at work. Yeah. <laughs> because of his role in all this, he got red flagged by both the LAPD and the FBI. He was yep. constantly being monitored, and he got arrested 39 times over the rest of his life for a slew of minor things. One time, he was accused of plotting to kill Hubert Humphrey. <laughs> all right. The, it's that patented imagination of the LAPD. <laughs> On top of that, oftentimes when the cops found out who he was in jail, they would abuse him. They'd beat him in really? jail because they'd be like, oh, you're the guy. You're yeah. the guy. He ended up having to move around from job to job. He suffered from seizures that he believed were caused by that hit, hit. in the head. His girlfriend was actually pregnant the day the uprising started. And maybe the worst part, the, it's, it's so horrible. The worst part of this whole story is that when his daughter was told about the Watts uprising in school, she was taught that her dad was a bad man. Oh, jeez. It's so... It's horrible yeah. that that's what she was taught in school. In 1970, he had a son. It just gets worse. In 1970, he had a son who died before he was even a year old. This was when Marcus stabbed himself in the chest, seppuku style. Wait. Tried to kill himself. Oh, he tried, tried to? Tried to kill himself, okay. but he didn't, though. Okay. He developed a drinking problem after this, died of pneumonia Christmas Eve, 1986. So he didn't live much longer. His mom, Rena, got a $250 fine and two years probation for her unbelievably minor role in all of this. But it did get reversed in 1966 a year into her probation but she also had to deal with the legacy of this because nobody would hire her to clean their houses oh. or watch their kids after yeah. this because of her association she lived a long life until 2013 she died wow. at the age of 97 she never got her car back from the impound because the fees surpassed the worth of her car <laughs> it's a night like i looked up what those cars look like that's a nice car it is a nice car the black community has always seen it this way but i think now is a good time for everybody else to take a new look at what happened in watts and to stop thinking of it the way it was depicted by the media and by Parker. Yes, it was horrible. And yes, it was scary, but it was scary for everybody. Like yeah. I said, everybody was scared. And six days of fear to the rest of the city is nothing compared to, like we said, 400 years yeah. and counting of mm -hmm. what the black community has had to deal with. So the community was calling for help and they tried talking, but nobody was listening. Yeah. So people felt... And the problem continues. So people felt that this sort of action maybe would get people to listen. Maybe if we are violent... They yeah. will listen. Those first few days of the uprising were a thrill to young black kids in Watts who felt like they finally had power and yeah. they were finally hitting back. And also like, no one's listening. Now you can hear us. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on today. Yeah. And looting sucks. But when people were looting and damaging stuff, that's when stuff was getting done. Exactly. Like now yeah. people are still going, but like what's happening? Like, people aren't really listening anymore. Yeah. Anyway, yes, some things maybe got a little more destructive than expected. But again, they had tried playing by the rules, but the rules were wrong. Yeah. So don't play by the rules. It brought the reality of being black in America crashing into the living rooms of white LA, which was a city that thought racism was just a delicacy of the South. Yeah. Like, we don't do that. This was an outcry against how hopeless it felt to live in Watts and be black and needing help. But the entire system that made a big fuss about justice for all has failed you. It was enough of that. Obviously, for a guy like me who can't even go on walks during quarantine without getting sunburned, the reality of being black in America is something I'll never experience. But what people are asking for is really not hard to understand understand yeah. for anybody and if you're the kind of person who's afraid of things like the watts uprising happening again it's simple make people feel like they're actually an equal part of the structure of society and they won't attack the structure. Yes. It's that simple. As Marcus said, Watts was not a riot because a riot was a bunch of crazy folk going crazy without a reason. There was a reason. Yes. Simple. Absolutely. But again, like nothing happened from that. Maybe longer well, down the line, but yeah, not really. The black community and law enforcement should have like looked at each other and been like, this can't happen again. <laughs> yeah. We need to like get on equal grounds and it just like it Parker, happen. why would Parker ever have that? Yeah.
Okay, <laughs> let's get into let's it. Get, let's do that again, but bigger. Different clothes. Yeah. For research for this one, I kind of went all over the place. If somebody wants any of the LA Times articles that I referenced that are all bookmarked, I didn't <laughs> list them in here. I read Policing Los Angeles from Max Falkner Cantor, LA Noir from John Bunton, which is the Mickey Cohen, Bill Parker book. I read your the part you were telling me to read about Watts in the LA Noir. Oh, thing. you did? Yeah. It's a great book. It's very pro-Parker, and it gets me very riled up, <laughs> and then it goes, and it's pro-Cohen for a while. I'm like, <laughs> I always wanted Mickey Cohen to be mayor. I watched a lot of documentaries. Alley 92 is fantastic. Let It Fall 1982-1992 is a really good documentary. Burn, Mother Effer, Burn. Really good. It covers Watts all the way to the Alley Riots. And then the second episode of OJ Made in America covers some stuff that I'm going to talk about. Here we go. It's truly hard to find a place to start talking about the 1992 riots because as a lot of people know, watching the three spectacular documentaries, it doesn't start with Rodney King being pulled over, nor does it start when the verdict for his beating was announced. We can say that after the Watts Rebellion, the relationship between law enforcement and black community was only continued down their tumultuous path. Police department doubled down on their idea of law and order, and to Bill Parker, one of the biggest threats to law and order was, like I said, civil rights activism and communism, which he felt would undermine social order. What a fashion guy. <laughs> what a symbol of his time. <laughs> like I was saying before, his philosophies were all problematic. He believed in loyalty to the badge, which helps foster the police code of silence. He was data-driven, meaning more statistically, according to his intelligence, more crimes were committed by people of color he felt the need i'll wait for that to pass they're on case in point an lapd helicopter (laughs) is someone talking about us in a negative light (laughs) he was data driven meaning he was thinking more statistically and according to his intelligence more crimes were committed by people of color he felt he needed to lay the law down extra hard when it came to certain ethnic groups and he wasn't concerned with why certain groups committed crime he was only (laughs) interested in maintaining order all of that to me spells police brutality aimed directly towards people of color and the police will defend it Mm -hmm. and defend each other doing it he was quoted as saying the current soft attitude on the part of the public to crime and civil rights demonstrations could lead to a form of anarchy unless halted. He also said, the voice of the criminal, the communist, and the self-appointed defender of civil liberties constantly cries out for more and more restrictions upon police authority. He's such a, like, you're all soft. We're going to retain your kid gloves. He's such a football coach of a dad. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this guy. Yeah, he's such a a stiff white dude. All through the 70s, the LAPD along with the FBI and the Sheriff's Department would continually raid and attack civil rights group such as like we were talking about the black panthers all part of something referred to as COINTELPRO, short for counterintelligence program so they'd be raiding spying and infiltrating to dismantle in the least possibly assassinating and wrongful imprisonment at the worst i'd hate to ruin a further episode but punchy carter uh-huh. a place to start talking about all of this is to talk about bill parker's predecessor his protege his heir apparent Daryl Gates. Gates joins the force in 1949 and quickly rose up the ranks and by 1963 he became the head of the LAPD's intelligence division and in 1965 he became one of the youngest inspectors in the history of the LAPD. During the first calls for backup during the Watts uprising Gates was heading over to check on the security at the Harvey Aluminum Company plant on 190th and Normandy to check on the workers strike. That's when he got the call to go check out what was happening in 116th and Avalon. Daryl Gates was one of the cops on the scene there. I think I remember reading that name, yeah. actually. Interesting. One of his contemporaries in the LAPD when he was coming up was future mayor, the guy who usurped a Yorty, Tom Bradley. And the two did not like each other. <laughs> I mean, nobody in the equation liked each other. But Bradley <laughs> and Gates didn't like each other. Within the greater dislike, yeah, these two the- specifically <laughs> didn't like each other. These two didn't like each other. <laughs> Bradley left the force in 1961 when he ran and was elected for city council. According to the Alley Noir book from Bunton, Bradley was a favorable 
role lieutenant to Parker. He really valued the job he was doing from sharp police work to handling positive press of the department, but it turned sour after Parker was clued in to a series of negative articles in the LA Sentinel, and he found out that they were linked to Bradley. <laughs> Parker had put an eye on Bradley, and a report came back to him saying that Bradley was providing dissident groups like the ACLU at a meeting at a private residence with unfavorable information about Parker and the LAPD. Basically, to sum up, that a lack of understanding brought police hostilities, and that while there was integration of the police academies and a sense of fairness, once you became an officer and went into the field, white cops got a better sense of pronouncement and actions, and cops that weren't white, they didn't. And that made white officers feel more superior, and it left cops who weren't white feeling so, disenfranchised so even within with the, the police within force. the force that is enforcing these racist hierarchies yeah they too have they too own. all uh, a sub yeah. <laughs> a subgroup of yep, segregation like, and racism this is a 20-tiered wedding cake this whole se- this whole country bradley's remarks about the lapd not wildly aggressive but to parker he saw this as outright treachery he immediately transferred bradley to the wilshire division graveyard shift but bradley was already on his way out so he left he went on to city council and was elected mayor in 1973 becoming the first african-american mayor in a major u.s city which we covered him in a previous episode standing next to bob parker when he read the report about bradley was daryl gates on his way up the lapd ladder five years after bradley became the mayor gates becomes chief of police 1978 he continues the lapd in bill parker's model a militaristic hard-nosed police force where handshakes with citizens on one side of town were as common as excessive brutality on the other side of town so let's set the scene 1992 it isn't easy but there are always these facts that are brought up when discussing everything that led up to the riots. In my trusty LA encyclopedia, there were a lot of underlying factors that helped churn the pot of what happened in 1992. When you were bringing it up, explosion of violence in LA, the high unemployment rates, failed education system, racism, and alienation in the culture, along with poor police community relations, poor police preparation, and decades of neglect and physical deterioration of South Central. Well, weren't didn't we talk about in another episode that in that time, wasn't LA like the murder capital of the country and or I think it was the bank robbery capital. I think it was a bank robber capital for a long time. I guess we can't usurp Chicago. All of that is the base of it. But let's talk about some of the bigger controversial incidents with the LAPD that are often talked about when people talk about the riots. 1979. We'll try to go in order, but in 1979, the police are called to 11926 South Orchard Avenue by the SoCal Gas Company after the resident, Eula May Love, who was a 39-year-old mother of two whose husband had died of leukemia six months prior, she'd failed to pay her $22 gas bill. So they called the LAPD for that? Well, first, a service worker for the company goes and they're going to shut off the gas and she's like distraught and she attacks him with a shovel. Mm. So they call the cops okay. to come deal with it. Officer Edward Hopkins and Officer Lloyd O'Callaghan. They approach her home. She comes out and is upset and has a knife in her hand. Whether she drew it to attack them or just had it in her hand, we don't mm-hmm. know. Reports kind of differ from everybody. But yeah. according because to the, they didn't have cam- body cameras yeah, back then. They couldn't turn off their body cameras <laughs> back then. They approach her home. She has a knife in her hand and she reportedly threw it at the officers. I also read that the cops managed to knock the knife out of her hand but then she retreated it. They Anyways. knocked it out of her hand and, then and they considered that throwing <laughs> it at them. I, I saw it flying. Anyways, the officers responded by shooting her eight times on her front lawn. God. The community was obviously outraged by this but all that ended up happening was the police received training using non-lethal force so you're gonna go shoot a lady guess what more training <laughs> what's that gonna i mean that's always been that's the that, problem that's still their answer to everything yeah. so no investigation well, training to become more lethal you know without a weapon <laughs> that's the i mean that's i hate the saying si- like that's the problem it's like I, one of the thousand problems i know th- this is just this is case number exactly. whatever thousand no investigation by the police commission was sought later that year a new law was put into place that limited the release of 
police personnel records and mm. allowed law enforcement officials to suppress information mm. on investigations of police misconduct. Mm. Even mm. with Mayor Bradley, Chief Gates, and Police Commissioner Stephen Reinhardt in an 80-minute meeting, little was resolved other than we'll, we'll try to do better. So now we cut to 1982. PCP and Angel Dust. I'm were, telling you, this is just, this is making me angry. Like every yeah. sentence we go through is making me angrier and angrier. Yep. And then there, it ends with a little bit of hope. And then you tell me what happened 30 <laughs> years later. 1982 now. At this time, PCP and Angel Dust were pretty prominent drugs during this time. Now, the reputation of PCP, according to the LAPD, was that someone high on PCP was very aggressive, very yeah. violent, and they don't feel pain. So you can't, you could try to subdue them, but they won't they submit. They don't even celebrate Christmas. <laughs> they won't submit when they're on PCP because they aren't responding the way the officers are trained to deal with non-compliant suspects. Is that true? Like that According to, the, I only know it from the LAPD. So I don't know if it's true because the only time I've heard yeah. that is from. It's from a notoriously lying source. <laughs> uh, you know people probably. who have done PCP. What? <laughs> you know people who have done PCP. I do. I don't know. Like I've never tried to take them down. <laughs> Give it a shot. <laughs> Everything smells like burning plastic. Um, this gave the police an excuse to use any means necessary to take somebody down. Now, their number one tool to restrain and control someone at that time was using chokeholds. You know, when we see this stuff with a choke, like with, I want to say the first guy, but it wasn't the first guy. Uh, Where, Garner, Garner? George Floyd? Garner. Garner. I, again, white boy here. I didn't even realize, like, that's something police, like, they regularly put people into chokeholds since forever? Forever, yeah. That's been their training for a long time. Crazy. I'm- I mean, it's not a let you breathe hold. Like, it's a choke it's hold. A cho- <laughs> like, it, you're meant, it's meant to be hurting people. Yeah. So yeah. why? I don't know. There are two that cops are trained for, in the 70s at least, the bar arm and the carotid. Now, the bar arm yeah. is where you use your forearm across the neck which is incredibly dangerous and led to a lot of deaths then there was the carotid more of a v shape in the elbow where the arm is placed around the front of the neck cradling the midline of the neck in the crook of your arm and then your free arm grips the wrist and then you put them in a a chokehold this was the preferred chokehold used but here's the thing about the carotid chokehold it's incredibly dangerous and it led to a lot of deaths Mm -hmm. both of them did cut to 1982 20 year old james mincy jr got pulled over for having a cracked windshield that encounter is fine Gets probably, I probably gets a ticket I don't know but then he drives off and then a second police vehicle Wait. the LAPD foothill division notices his cracked windshield throws on their sirens and try to pull him over this is the same day same day like minutes later but they didn't realize that he had already been pulled over <sighs> and Mincy doesn't know that it's a different cop car and he's confused he has no idea what's going on and he keeps going and the second cop car thinks that this is a pursuit now so Mincy hmm. drives to his mother's house in Lakeview Terrace the cops follow him and he gets out of the car and the police are trying to take him into custody and he doesn't understand why and a struggle ensues he is resisting arrest and the officer put him in a carotid chokehold not killing him there but putting him in a coma by cutting off oxygen to his brain and he died two weeks later this was the 15th death in over seven years because of the chokehold and this happened in lakeview terrace also so sure not, even, not even the last time that would happen or something would happen in lakeview terrace that same year later in the year when i read an article about james jr they, they mentioned the 15 who died before that same year in august donald wilson 23 year old african-american man from south central was killed using a modified carotid chokehold in response to the overwhelming backlash over the death of Mincy, Daryl Gates speaking on a hunch. If you don't have reasons to not like Daryl Gates yet, let's get into it. <laughs> Daryl Gates said, we might be finding that in some blacks when it is applied, the veins or arteries do not open up as fast as they do in okay. normal people. Wait a minute. So he's saying they're physically different now. Yeah. There's, there's something different in their anatomy. And he's also used the phrase normal people. Did you say that or did I just I said, and you, you were about to, you were just starting to speak over it. Want me to say it again? Say it again. Okay. <laughs> we may be finding that in some blacks when it is applied, the veins or 
her arteries do not open up as fast as they do in normal people. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yep. He sure did say that. He was trying to defend what he said versus what he normal meant. People. Saying that he was talking about wanting to put the emphasis on normal arteries and instead put the emphasis on black people. But people were not having it. And rightfully so. This just added to a long list of racist, homophobic, misogynistic things that Daryl Gates is known for saying, which includes telling an audience, people listening to him in person, that Latino officers weren't promoted as often because they were lazy. Daryl Gate. Like, I would look up a name. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look up more information about one. Like, oh, throughout, throughout 13 pages of research I was doing, I'm going to look up a thing. It would always circle back to something about Daryl Gates being a prick. <laughs> God, I hate Daryl Gates. Okay, uh. some reform did occur here because both chokeholds by the LAPD were banned, which meant that now they were stuck with batons wait a minute so is that still in effect that for the lapd that they don't do those uh, i think things? you know honestly i don't know because i feel like they're still putting people in chokeholds but then I never again you never if they were ever like but, reinstituted but you don't hear about that sort of death happening in, in la Los in Angeles. la i guess not they just shoot and, uh, yeah, yeah they have batons to do that why, <laughs> why bother choking people when yeah. you can give them seizures for the rest of their life by hitting them over the eye with a baton we should talk about the gangs that formed in south central as well there's a group of white guys okay we're gonna go back to around 60s 50s 60s there was a group of white guys going around attacking black and brown people in south la they were known as disgustingly as the spook hunters i've heard of them to combat this different groups started forming to fight back these were groups like the slossons the gladiators the vikings the businessmen bunchy carter of the black panthers himself was in a slosson set called the renegades these groups started as a defense for guys in areas like hawthorne and inglewood that get jumped if they were alone these groups would through the tumultuous years of social and economic decline would later be the basic framework for street gangs like the crips that would form and get more aggressive through the 80s and 90s as a new element entered the scene that element was a new form of cocaine known as crack it was cheaper to make thus cost way less than cocaine so you can buy some of it for as little as five dollars if you weren't concerned with profits and once it hits the streets that was that <laughs> the crack epidemic in los angeles was thanks to basically one guy a couple guys but freeway wick ross who had a connection with his nicaraguan born supplier oscar denia blandone blandone had a colombian supplier who would sell blandone cocaine and that traffic to ross according to urban legends that some people see this as absolute truth crack was introduced to los angeles by the cia to fund the contra yeah i've heard that ross would make the money selling crack give his money to blandone who would give the money to the contra rebel groups in nicaragua who were funded trained and armed by the cia so a lot of people think the CEA introduced crack into the thing. Well, crack is incredibly addictive and cheap, so it sweeps across the You know the people who do crack? I do know people who... You ever take them down? You ever try to you be ever, a vigilante? And you ever try to wrestle with them? <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> crack is not just a problem in LA, it's a problem across the whole country, yeah. but in LA. Big, big, big Big cities problem. had a big problem yeah, with it. Yeah, exactly. So, New York, terrible. Yeah. Crimes of all kinds skyrocketed because of crack and thus began the war on drugs to respond to this lapd doubled down on the militarism and because of the watts rebellion according to some book i read other sniper incidences which i don't know what they're talking about yeah, i, talking about these I tried looking up like sniper los angeles and i, I got all I, these weird results I, I tried finding like official reports of yeah. a sniper there's nothing i just saw one picture labeled there's a sniper and i like i said <laughs> it's one guy hiding behind a car and yeah. everyone's just standing there watching the snipers drawn into the photo exactly. Look he at would that. be right here if he was real yeah. the thing about that is like so they know enough to recognize crime is happening because of crack yeah so instead of why don't we build programs to help people not be addicted to crack yeah 
why don't we just get more cops? Yeah. Why don't we get don't thicker we batons? Why don't we turn the cops into a RoboCop? Yeah. That's the 80s in LA. 80s okay. and early 90s of LA. It was like the cops thought that they were okay, a conquering yeah. army. A special task force was created and developed through the 60s. And we have now come to know that team as Special Weapons and Tactics SWAT. This was part of the LAPD Metro Division approved by Daryl Gates early in his career as his chief. Wait a minute. Was SWAT only an LA thing? I think it was created in LA. Really? Yeah. So it was meant to be originally an anti-crack? No, 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 no. It was developed early because of the Watts Rebellion and different sniper incidences they started oh, developing okay, SWAT but okay. in the 80s what is SWAT I don't, I don't understand like what is their purpose special weapons and tactics um, they're more like, I guess <laughs> a more aggressive than- version of the cops like the cops can't handle something that has an extra tinge of danger so they send in the SWAT which is like a special like the marines of the cops so, yeah it's like the green berets the green berets of the cops Yeah, bigger angrier more racist <laughs> super white um, <laughs> even whiter even whiter than before by 1985 the SWAT was now going to be utilized as soldiers on the war on drugs and they saw the crack epidemic as an excuse to act like a conquering army and anyone who resisted them in any capacity was clearly the enemy there's footage of SWAT driving literal battering rams on wheels and tanks <laughs> full on into homes like battering rams home. into like a front door and just knocking the front wall of a house down and, and they're the, like gonna catch that crack they're like the keystone cops but really <laughs> scary but I don't laugh yeah they're, but they're not funny <laughs> they're at all, not funny at all. they're like keystone cops but they have more money there's footage of <laughs> well, funded keystone cops they have all these military things you'd only see in vietnam right okay so war on drugs they were just like arresting everybody hundreds of people seemingly using excessive force with a large number of them if not all of them this has come to be known as operation hammer and it was a show of force from the lapd everything about this is so aggressive yeah Yeah. war hammer Mm -hmm. war hammer that was their whole thing it's a show of force we are so Mm -hmm. much stronger than you and that was the point they were trying to prove and when you're doing that you don't feel the need to show respect or communication. Yeah. Or Why respect someone when you can flex your muscles? Exactly. And that's herein lies the never-ending mm-hmm. problem of the 80s in yeah. this era. I mean, as we've, t- as we've talked about this more and more, like the, it seems so easy to fix this problem. <laughs> I mean, like seemingly. Like to seemingly, us, sure, yeah. yeah. To residents of South LA, this was just abuse. They were mm-hmm. destroying homes, making people homeless in the process, and for so little to show for it, crime was still skyrocketing and crack cocaine was still proliferating. Like, So now we'll get into the ultimate sin with Operation Hammer, and it comes in 1988, when based on a tip, they raid two apartment complexes at 39th and Dalton, and destroy the place mm-hmm. like think over the word destroy <laughs> destroy like yeah. they destroyed destroy tear the bricks down basically not even practically to search for drugs i've had my house raided before not to brag and it's insane like every, like look at where we are imagine think like, of everything I, in your like apartment said, you know pcp somebody was living on a property and this, <laughs> they suspected him of selling drugs so we had a police raid at our home there was nothing as bad as 39th and dalton it was mm-hmm. it was a police raid so everything that you imagine <laughs> is standing up like a table and a couch everything's just flipped upside down and everything that's on something is just on the floor like everything is and just they just leave it yeah well they're gonna yeah. clean it up <laughs> don't they have a cleaning crew i remember getting home and everyone was on my porch and no one was making eye contact and there was quiet and i knew like what they handed me a paper and i opened it and it was a search warrant <laughs> like huh i've never seen one of these before and i opened it at my house um <laughs> i have a 16 millimeter camera and it was out Oh, and I, I remember this. I keep that hidden in my in my closet, and it was on the kitchen table. I'm like, what? And it's like, oh, one of the officers saw it, and he's like, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. He thought it was great. He's wondering where you got it. Okay, cool. He exposed all your films. <laughs> also, you know that Zabruski. He held it up. To, <laughs> you you took footage of who shot Kennedy. He held he it right up to the light. 
He thought there might be drugs on it. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. 39th and Dalton. Not comparing. I'm just saying in contrast, I know what a police raid of a right. home looks yeah. like. 39th and Dalton, August 1988. Toilets were destroyed. TVs kicked in. Walls kicked in. Fridge pushed to the side, lying on its, the side of the fridge. Door frames hanging off the wall. Everything in that place was broken and thrown on the ground. All of this. And what did the police uncover? Three quarters of an ounce of rock cocaine, six ounces of pot. I'm reading this verbatim from the LA Times article by John Mitchell. The police smashed furniture, punched holes in the walls, destroyed family photos, ripped down cabinet doors, slashed sofas, shattered mirrors, hammered toilets to porcelain shards, doused clothing with bleach, and emptied refrigerators. Wait a minute, why would they douse clothing? Why not? You get you can get like, away with it. Like invisible drugs? <laughs> Maybe if we pee on this, the drugs will show up. Some officers left There's a way own- to do it. Like if you have to do that, you can do it with respect. You don't have to yeah. rip their door frames yeah. off there's a cop in one of the documentaries like this is impractical because like you're looking for drugs so you throw everything on the ground how are you supposed to find the drugs yeah. you're a conquering army you, and you, you got a lot of broken glass in here but no <laughs> drugs some it, officers it, left crazy. their own graffiti lapd rules rolling 30s die officer todd patrick said in one of the articles was one of the most eager participants he used an axe to break through walls and cut down furniture dozens of residents from the apartments and surrounding neighborhood were rounded up many were humiliated hum- humiliated i can never say that word humiliated Humiliated. They were humiliated and beaten. And you, you, none don't of was, to, you don't know how to say the word. You just experience it a lot. That's my life. Anyway, um, I just wanted to make fun of you. Go on. Well, it's easy to do. Um, nobody was charged with a crime. So they were just rounding people up, beating them, making fun of them, and then just been, all right, well. I can't believe not only that they graffitied the walls, but actually said LAPD. I'm surprised they didn't say LAPD rules, whatever, whatever drools. Yep. I'm really surprised they didn't put that. This LAPD arm flex was so bad that the Red Cross had to come and help these people. Oh Ten God. adults and 12 miners were never repaid for the damages. They were left homeless after the LAPD went to do this drug search and got so little drugs that it wasn't even worth it. The next day, okay, so the captain was not present for this. He was eventually fired. He talks in the documentary too. Mm. So basically when they went to execute the search warrant, there was no one in command. Okay. Their captain wasn't there. So it was just a bunch of cops, maybe like a leading officer, but nobody was there like a captain being like, no, we don't need... So Scar wasn't there, but the hyenas were sent in. Got it. The captain was not present for the raid and went to look at the damage and it said that the police blamed gang members for the damage and then eventually they yeah. found out that yeah. it wasn't i know the name of the gang <laughs> four letters also let's not forget that and during this according to some people they rule <laughs> you did research on this so let's not forget this era crash unit at the rampart yeah with people like rafael perez this is like 80s 90s yeah. we wouldn't figure out how corrupt the crash unit was until the late 90s but like this is their era this is their heyday right. anyways 39th dalton the public was furious rightfully so they were demanding civilian oversight and some accountability but little came of this the police commission did little in reprimanding the officers and they were even acquitted of the misdemeanor vandalism charge like we didn't even get in trouble for that police committing crimes violating people's civil rights and who is to judge them but more police the code of silence reigns supreme in the lapd there's an incident in long beach in 1989 where don jackson was beaten thrown into a plate glass window and arrested all on camera this i think while testing profiling among officers for a news broadcast so all of this was on camera. Here's another small one. Wait a minute. Well, wait not a minute. small, but... So, hang on. I have to sneeze. <laughs> but also, wait. So they were filming a news segment about yeah. police profiling. And in that segment, they profiled a guy and threw him through a plate glass window. From what I understand. Oh, that's great reporting then. Yeah. They got, they got <laughs> to the heart it. of the story. 1990, a 27-year-old member of the Nation of Islam and an Air Force veteran named Oliver Beasley was pulled over by Alley County Sheriff deputies over a traffic stop. That turned into a skirmish and Beasley was shot and killed. So this is this. It's just this over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Now we get 
1991, March 3rd, a little bit after midnight, and a 25-year-old unemployed construction worker from Altadena and his two friends have been partying. They've been drinking and watching a basketball game, and they get on the road. The passengers are Freddie Helms and Brian Allen, and the driver is Rodney King. Now, King is behind the wheel of a white Hyundai on the one, I believe on the 118 freeway going about, it's reported he was going 150 miles per hour, but later reports are like, it's a Hyundai, it can only go 100 miles per hour. So <laughs> like 100 to, is like way I'd past, like to see the, but also like the you're exaggerating. speedometer on that thing. He was going really, really fast, uh, enough to get pulled over, right. rightfully so. He's been drinking, he's driving fast. He was spotted by Tim so, and- So this is the incident, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know there were two other people in the car. Yeah, there are two other people in the car. Okay. He's spotted by Tim and Melanie Singer, a husband and wife highway patrol team, and they go after him, they turn sirens on. Wait a minute. What? Husband and wife, highway patrol team. That's allowed? I guess. Were they on like a motorcycle and then we like have... a, a sidecar thing? Like, wh- I don't, why would that Were be they allowed? Were a minivan? Why would that be allowed? Why wouldn't it be? You sh- you're not supposed to be working with your... That's, significant that is other. true. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't look into that that That's much. That's weird. This will be our next episode is Tim and yeah. Melanie Singer. And <laughs> yeah. Would you have this in the sidecar? They turn on their sirens and they want to go after him and King gives chase. Getting off on Paxton Exit and Silmar Pacoima Lake View Terrace. I've heard all three of them called that. And he starts racing through the streets but it it was like 65 miles per hour <laughs> but he's still not pulling over. Now, LAPD then joins in on the chase after this. King admittedly says that he was on parole for armed robbery and he was getting caught drinking and driving which surely means he's going back to jail. So yeah, yeah. he was going to try to get away. He's in driving incredibly recklessly and finally near the Hanson Dam I'll tell you exactly where it is near the Discovery Center it's right yeah where the library the and the Discovery Cube is this, it's, it's is. right around that curve and I walked to it because I would work at that place all at the, the library, library there all the time and then I was doing something and I found like that's where it happened and I walked there and it's weird to stand right there it is, and yeah. it kind of looks the same but no marker nothing yeah i mean and why would they have a marker? why would they have a marker yeah. but like maybe there should be a marker not that the city would ever put a monument yeah. to police brutality the, the lapd should pay for it though <laughs> this is where we were caught messing up i always thought it was off of paxton what is that the five or the 118 i, I always get confused by that general because uh, i can never tell what it is yeah it's a 118 leading to the 210 or to the 210 yeah. yeah so i think it is the 210 at that point maybe it is yeah it, but yeah it's, a it's been so long since i've been at work i don't really remember <laughs> it doesn't matter what freeway it is <laughs> not the point of the story yeah, the, exactly how very californian of us um finally he was brought to a halt near the discovery cube future discovery future cube. Discovery just the cube. grass field at that um point. a pickup truck i guess was blocking the road and he couldn't go anywhere so the singers finally get to the car two of the three passengers brian allen and freddie helms they get out of the car and they follow police instructions the driver was said to hesitate Rodney King hesitated and slowly climbed out Brian Allen later said it was the seatbelt was giving him trouble so he just couldn't get out of the seat as fast as they wanted him mm-hmm. to and he said by the singers that he was smiling and waving at the helicopter overhead that was following <laughs> the car chase singer ordered King to put his hands on his head where he could see them and in singer's testimony Rodney King grabbed his right buttock with his right hand and shook it at me <laughs> I don't know if he grabbed singer's butt or his own butt uh-huh. I'd like to get to the bottom of that as well actually King finally complied with singer's order to lie on the ground and Melanie drew close to King with her gun drawn to make the arrest then, so this is still the husband and wife team yeah this is are- this is the husband and wife team. the lapd just gets on the scene here well, the cops on the scene are this is the four sergeant stacy coon who's 40 years old officer lawrence powell i call him babyface powell because he has a baby face timothy Wynn, who's 30 and theora brazino who's 38 a little background on babyface powell and brazino brazino was suspended for 66 days without pay in 1987 for using excessive force after he was found to have unnecessarily kicked and struck a handcuffed man and officer powell is facing a police inquiry into charges by two black college students that they made racial slurs and physically abused them in the last month so after these four 
four. So this is the team. This is the team on scene. And after these four show up, 11 more officers are on the scene. From basically this point, the movements are hard to track and stories diverge. Again. Something, that, again, something that is confirmed is that Powell and Wynn's patrol unit transmitted the computer message that an earlier domestic dispute between an African-American couple was right out of gorillas in the mist, a reference to a motion picture about the study of gorillas in Africa. Who said this? Powell and Wind. These are two of the cops. Okay. And this is talking about Great. a previous thing that night. So already. Yeah. We know where their mind frame is. So there's is. that. Yeah. So now cops will say that Rodney King was being belligerent, not cooperating, resisting arrest, kicking and swinging at police. Witnesses on the scene said he was complying with what they were saying. Brian Allen said that he and Freddie Helms were manhandled and taunted. Again, the LAPD officers coming by. They're You're not talking about a different crime <laughs> again that we've what committed, are you? So at some point, I, I can't tell what's really happening because I'm getting all these different stories. They like singers have him on the ground LAPD have him up standing up he's complying he's not complying again like you were saying there's no body cameras for them to turn off yeah. during all of this what happens at some point though is that the cops try to use a swarm tactic which is like one cop for each arm they grab his forearm another cop throws himself around the neck and then they put him down on the ground try to use the swarm tactic on him but it, it, he like evades it and then he's said to have charged at the cops although eyewitnesses says that's not true but on the we find out later that he did run in some direction it could be that he was charging at them or maybe he was trying to like get rid of because they also at this point tased him and then they started swatting him with their p24 batons the last resort for cops now was using a chokehold which was banned so then how is that a last resort if it's banned oh no i'm sorry what i meant was they used the batons which was the last resort oh, because it was okay. banned all right and at some point when they start swatting him they tase him twice he hits the ground and three of the cops start pummeling him with their batons while sergeant coon looks on rodney king was hit 56 times with a baton brian allen said that he was his friend is on the ground because the cops made him be on the ground on the other side of the car and he, he was said he was terrified having been made to you know crawl on the ground and he's just listening to rodney king his friend get beat screaming in agony being hit with these batons he said he could hear officers? rodney king screaming stop stop and at some point he stopped screaming and all you could hear this is a quote from brian allen all you could hear was bones being broken Ugh. a crunching a whip sound how many officers was this three cops beating him one cop looking on and then that was from the four notorious ones and then 11 cops plus eyewitnesses were around his beating went on for i think over nine minutes okay so they beat him yeah. the rodney king beating is this they drive him to the hospital this is the titular beating of he the rodney king beating had a fractured cheekbone yeah. 11 broken bones at the base of his skull and a broken leg my grandma was working at county hospital when they brought him in and they said that his own mother didn't recognize him <sighs> the cops never talked to eyewitnesses and in fact the officers left brian allen and freddie helms there standing by the side of the road and allen remembers one of the cops saying guess what you're in a crips neighborhood there i guess were bloods and then they laughed and took off the initial report of the beating came at 12.56 a.m. when Sergeant Coon's unit reported to the watch commander's desk at the Foothill Station, you just had a big time use of force tased and beat the suspect of the chp pursuit big time they filed their police report saying it was necessary to subdue king with several baton strikes two shots from a taser gun because he attacked officers and resisted arrest pretty standard arrest like there's nothing really that stands out saying we had to use excessive force mm -hmm. and none of that not a single person knowing that across the street from the scene all this time george holiday a plumbing supply store <laughs> owner had videotaped all of it he was awoken by the helicopters and lights from the siren and wanted to try out his new video camera and he wanted to get footage <laughs> of the sirens and what I he want caught. to hear the story of him getting the video camera that like that Christmas and <laughs> I can't wait to use this he caught nine minutes and 20 seconds that was about to change the city of Los Angeles the next day holiday began trying to sell his tape first he tried the LAPD I don't know why but even more hysterious was why they didn't want it I'm thinking probably like who's gonna watch that yeah they, they didn't understand they didn't home yeah, they video. Had no idea. <laughs> then they, he tried to sell it to CNN no thanks he finally found his buyer KTLA channel 5 
five bought the Rodney King huh. tape for five hundred dollars. Interesting. It's they, a steal. They aired an edited clip of the video, and within days of the footage of Rodney King's beating, it was playing across the globe. One of the first captured instances of blatant, ugly police brutality in LA. Gates and the LAPD were on the S-word end of an S-word storm, which everyone, not just civil rights groups, everyone was demanding justice. They wanted those cops fired, charged for assault, and they wanted LAPD to go under heavy reform. All perfectly normal things to ask for. Mm-hmm. Even if the reforms didn't work, like, Do we something. caught you this time, yeah. and this is going to change. That was a feeling for a lot of people. We got you now. We finally, after all these years of you pushing us around, we yeah. finally got it, now and now the world can see we it. We have, maybe people will believe us now. Yeah, exactly. Gates went on the defensive. Even he said the video was awful, but, you know, I'm sure what was awful was him getting caught, basically. Yeah. But, That's awful. Who are these guys? <laughs> Who are those guys on the film? He apologized for the beating and called it an aberration. Everyone, including old enemy Tom Bradley, wanted his resignation. Gates recommends felony prosecution for his three officers involving in the beating and promised to discipline as many as 11 officers that stood by and did nothing. The DA's office is seeking a grand jury investigation as hundreds of people protest outside of Parker Center. I think for three hours, they were shouting at Gates to quit for him to be out. And he was just like sat there and had to take it, which is great. <laughs> Rodney King was held for three days at county jail before being released. Prosecutors later announced that no charges would be filed against him. How very nice of the LAPD. Around this time, King goes on TV and shows his bruises and he looks... KTLA not 5? good. I guess so. I don't know. But he goes on TV. A few days later, it comes back that he was not high on PCP, which means his beating can excuse away that he was on PCP, so we had to use extra force. Everything regarding that tape beating is boiling. You know, like every like police are under heavy scrutiny, and it's well deserved because no DUI should end with fifty baton strikes from three officers and a falsified report. I didn't realize that both of these were DUI. Yours and mine were yeah, DUI situations. Both DUI situations. Oh, also, Sergeant Kuhn said that if he could have used a chokehold, it would have been a much simpler takedown, even though it could have killed him he said even though it could Sergeant have Kuhn said him? if i was able to use a chokehold this would have been a lot easier easier Proof for to, who yeah exactly this sentiment is agreed on by mark Furman in one of the documentaries remember mark Furman? who's mark Furman? he was one of the officers at the scene of oj bloody glove and then later find out that he was incredibly racist and did not help that situation at all great team you got rooting for chokeholds this is ridiculous. I know you had a freeway ranks your house. Officer Powell claims beating Rodney King with a baton and him not submitting made him realize that the LAPD policy was deficient as far as bringing a suspect down. I mean, deficient in what? If I could use a chokehold, he would have he would have submitted. But with the batons, you, lo- you see how long I had to beat him for? I'm paraphrasing, and I'm assuming that's yeah. what he meant. What is the can't we all just get along thing? It's coming. Okay. I thought that was happening w- during the beating. At a public forum, Daryl Gates joked, if it wasn't for our helicopters, the lighting would have been horrible. See... That's tone deaf. <laughs> We're not as bad as a corrupt police chief. This happens on like March 3rd, March 7th or 8th. Now we go to March 16th, 1991, 13 days after Rodney King was beaten down. We're going to go to 9100 South Figueroa Street, the same block as a Hacienda Hotel where Sam Cooke was killed. <laughs> We're going to go to the corner to the Empire Liquor Market. A 15-year-old girl named Latasha Harlins goes to buy orange juice from a Korean-owned convenience store. She grabs the OJ and she puts it in her backpack, but not to steal Don't it. Don't use the word OJ and you're confused. Sorry. Now with orange juice. She grabs the orange juice and she puts it in her backpack and goes to the counter to pay the $1.79 for it. Not trying to steal it, just trying to get it out of her hands. Mm-hmm. Puts it in her backpack. Right. But the woman working the register, the store owner, Soon Jadu, doesn't see it that way. And she accuses Latasha of trying to steal it. Latasha is showing her the money. I walk to the counter. I'm trying to pay you. I'm not stealing this mm-hmm. orange juice. But Soon Jadu isn't having it. And an argument breaks out. And Jadu, she reaches for Latasha's sweater and this pisses her off. So she takes a swing at the lady. And 
and knocked her to the ground. And then the lady throws the stool she was sitting on. Natasha tosses the orange juice on the counter and turns to walk away to be the bigger person. Sunja Ul then pulls a 38 caliber out and shoots oh, Latasha God. in the back as she's walking away. This was two weeks Thir- 13 after? 13 days, okay. yeah. All of this caught on security camera, police concluding that there was no attempt at shoplifting. This incident broke open the long conflict between Korean shop owners in South Central and the African-American community. Yeah, that I served. know that there was a big, that that was a big part of this story. Yeah, I kind of always forget about it too. Like, you always <laughs> think it's like the cops versus the black community yeah. and then like, oh, there's this like third thing in there too. This the three-way third war. Yeah. Oh, my neighbors are back. Pretty cool. Just in time for quarantine again. <laughs> Phase two. Korean immigration soared through the mid-80s and had grown like 140%, which I don't ever know how like over 100% of something worked. <laughs> but the jobs and opportunities they came to America for were not always there. And in many cases, they drift south of Koreatown to South LA and they would have these shops. And there was no attempt to sort of bridge the gap between the communities that they were serving. So there's a lot of animosity. So it was just... Well, K- Koreans would accuse African Americans of stealing and assaults. So this was a common thing. Yeah, this was, was a common thing. Okay. And this is a thing that had been happening for a long time. Right. African Americans would accuse Koreans of harassing them and discrimination. Like if you went into a, a Korean-owned store, you would get followed around the entire time and mm-hmm. they'd just watch everything that you're touching. Flip side of that is a lot of stores were getting robbed because okay. of the big crime wave that right. was happening. Latasha Harding's murder seems to be the breaking point in the tensions. The situation was made so much worse in November of that year at the trial. Du said that she was acted in self-defense because she believed her life was in danger, although two witnesses that were there that were like Latasha's age and a security camera footage showed that she shot this 15-year-old girl in the back. Now, she was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter, a sentence that had a minimum of 15 years in jail, but the judge, Joyce Carlin, disagreed with the jury's sentencing recommendation and gave Sun Jau five years probation, 400 hours of community service, and $500 fine for shooting a teenage girl in the back. Wait, a judge can disagree with a jury? I guess and I just didn't do whatever even know they want. Yeah, and she was just like, well, that sentence too harsh. Why do we have juries? Ex- Exactly. <laughs> We're getting to the bottom of a lot of problems here. Yeah, we are, based on all the documentaries <laughs> you, you that I me. watched. You and me. No, no people no, try to get us, to the bottom of, us, of this. Of us. The judge said about the jury, this is not a time for revenge, and no matter what the sentence this court imposes, Mrs. Dew will be punished every day for the rest of her life. The reaction to this, volatile. People stormed City Hall demanding justice. Real actual justice. This death is not in the hands of the LAPD, but it fits this pattern laid out that black lives yeah. don't matter in LA. Cops can kill you for resisting arrest, destroy your home, make you live on the streets, face no consequences, and you can get gunned down trying to buy orange juice and the killer would get probation. Right. This is the pattern. Back to Ronnie King now. Over the span of the year, the cops are being charged for excessive use of force and falsifying reports, two of them anyways, but it hits a snag when the defense claims that because of publicity, there'd be no way these cops could get a fair trial in Los Angeles. Which is why... And and it it shouldn't have happened, but the judges on the trial switched from Judge Kamen to Judge Weisberg, and suddenly a change of venue is accepted, and of all places, it's moved from Los Angeles to Ventura County, Mm -hmm. Simi Valley. If you're not from LA or you don't know Simi Valley, it's on the other side of the San Fernando Valley. You got to pass the Santa Susana Hills where the Manson and his trash children lived (laughs) into the Republican conservative battle. Not just Republican and conservative, but mostly cop. So, cop and Marine. The thing, like, military. Let's put Sauron on trial, but let's do the trial in Mordor (laughs) with a council of orcs. Let's do that. That's where all the cops go to live. Not all of them, but... A large portion of them. The only time I'll say not all cops is when I'm saying not all cops (laughs) live in Simi Valley. (laughs) Some of them live in Orange County. Some of them live in Antelope Valley, Palmdale, Lancaster. Yeah, Yeah, they don't want to live in the same area that they're serving, so they go to white suburbs. Yeah, that's not a good sign. No! Copland is about this. Anyways, you should probably watch Copland. It's really good. Like I said, can't support corrupt cops, love a small town sheriff. Anyways, Simi Valley, 88% white, 1.5% black. This is where people who hate 
hate living in the city go. Now the defense had more of a chance to find a jury to sympathize with these poor defensive cops. And jury selection began on February 1992. And by March, the prosecution found itself facing an all-white jury of cops supporting people in Simi Valley. I, I don't know what 1.5% is of 12 angry men. So I, I, you can, that's certainly not one like person. So yeah. you can't, I guess they all have to be white. So here we are. Everything since the Watts uprising, all of it leads to April 29th, 1992. The four officers, Powell, Wynn, Brazino, and Sergeant Kuhn would hear the verdict of guilty or not guilty for the charge of excessive use of force under the color of authority and Sergeant Kuhn and Officer Powell with additional charges of filing a false police report saying the beating was minor. Powell on the stand said that the night he beat Ronnie King that he was scared to death that King would grab his gun and the strategy of each officer was distance themselves from the officers claiming that they are all repulsed by what the other officers were doing and that they were in control. That's what Powell said that he hit and kicked Rodney King under orders from Sergeant Kuhn and then baby, baby, baby face pal. Hang on, the LAPD's here again. They're, they, they're You're not talking about Simi Valley now, <laughs> are you? We, we can handle you talking about police brutality and corruption in the code of silence, but don't talk about Simi Valley that way. So they're defending himself. They said we had to do this. He was attacking mm. us, blah, blah, blah. The entire city hung in suspense of what the verdict the Simi Valley jury would come back with. Many people on the street, like, like if you watch any of the documentaries, everybody will say in the streets there was just like an electric feeling yeah. like everyone like people knew. standing in front of the television store watching exactly the yeah the like, like, like that, exactly like that and yeah. like reporters everybody knew that something was going to happen if it mm-hmm. turned out a certain way residents reporters beat cops all can attest to it, that subconscious feeling danger hung in the air and that gut feeling was right <laughs> because all four officers were acquitted unanimously not guilty on 10 of the 11 counts and then the bottom came out from under the city. Officer Powell was the only one charged with excessive use of force, but because the jury could not agree on that charge, it was declared a mistrial. In the courtroom, when they not guilty, cheers, high fives among <laughs> the defense and many people in the courtroom, in wow. the streets and immediately Someone outside wrote the LAPD rules on the wall and they all went home and what had dinner together because they're all family. Yeah. <laughs> in the streets and immediately outside the Simi Valley Superior Court, heat smoldering heat stirring anger like if you watch the footage everything goes into a frenzy because people would pick up their camera so you're no longer on a tripod you're like <laughs> so like all the footage of immediately afterward it's right. so frantic and everyone's shouting and you're like the cameras are just like going from face so to face. it started immediately oh immediately okay outside the courtroom anyways there was screen matches between conservatives and simi valley and everyone who came to support ronnie king not even support ronnie king just to stand up for black people right outside the courtroom multiple scenes of anger all at once when the officers you could see the officers leaving smugly smiling and people like, oh, you're, you know, you way to go, boy. And then other people screaming, you're guilty, you're guilty. Okay, so then we cut from Simi Valley to outside Parker Center in downtown. A large group of protesters are met with a line of riot police protecting the station. As in any crowd of protesters in the footage, there are two factions. And we've learned this now. There are two factions right. of a big movement. There are people who want to be heard. They want a peaceful discussion, but they want power in numbers. And there's another group that mm-hmm. just want to trash everything because they're so mad. Yeah. Sometimes mad, sometimes opportunist. It's hard. Yeah, to there's a subgroup that. in yeah. between that group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So eventually the line of riot cops that are standing outside Parker Center protecting it, they retreat inside as the protesters gain mass and start throwing things at the station. Later in the evening, someone set a parking hut on fire. They broke into the LA Times building and trashed the first floor, setting cars on fire, this and that. It's been a long time coming, what they've Was been it? publishing for decades at that point was that on the tour we took did they mention like oh yeah by the way people broke in here and trashed the place i don't think they mentioned that now as intense as that scene is it would not compare to what was beginning to grow 
on Florence and 71st. So that's where it initially starts. So before any of this, community leaders said that no matter what happens, we were going to meet at the first AME church in West Adams. That's the one that Betty Mason helped build. Hmm. Paul Williams designed it. It's a beautiful building. We're all going to meet here. We're going to talk. We're going to talk things out, reflect, hear from everybody. And they were going to send groups of young men out to walk the streets and keep everything in order. But the shock and the anger towards the verdict changed the civility of a lot of people in the community. Not everyone, of course, obviously, but like anybody who was out and had that energy, it was like a bad energy. Blind rage. Yeah. I can't describe it. Like, but <laughs> watching the footage, I can see it. There's a large group assembling on 71st Street, trying to figure out what to do, what area to protest, what they need to do to be heard, where to take this feeling. And a large group of people decide, okay, well, we're going to go to a liquor store in Florence. And then just from there, we're going to go. And then there things start to get out of control. Now, according to a 911 call from the guy working at the liquor store, a crowd came in and accosted him, stole the case of beer. Others were throwing bricks through the window and hit him with a bottle. Absolute mayhem from that point. 911 was obviously called and a squad car descends on the seat. They try to squash the commotion, but even at this point, it's already it's, it's already out of control. People start throwing bricks and bottles at the cop car and now the cops are pursuing that person. They think that they have a suspect and they're trying to arrest him, but in doing so, swinging him around and manhandling him as he's resisting arrest in front of everyone. After all of the stuff that happened the officers call for backup and more and more people from the neighborhood are just coming out and just as more cops are coming twice as many people are coming out in the streets to meet them it's very evident at this point the cops are greatly outnumbered and the situation is that the highest pressure point next to just being shot at this is like the moment before we start getting shot at mm. everyone is screaming and shouting talk about the pressure everyone's screaming and shouting at you as you're just trying to put someone into a squad car and it like the pressure is just so high they arrest another guy and he resists at first but another officer calmly talks to him and he cooperates as this happens more cops get to the scene and they create a skirmish line so more and cops are like more and more cops pour onto the scene but as lieutenant michael molin tells it in one of the documentaries they aren't equipped these cops on the scene they're not equipped to deal with this all the right gear is the police academy no helmets on the scene no shields so he pulled his officers out because he, he said retreat because we can't do anything like we're just beat cops we can control it but like this is clearly out of hand cops were resistant to this you know michael molin said the cops were outnumbered and didn't want to use deadly force i'm sure the thought was maybe we're the problem element and if we remove ourselves maybe cooler heads will prevail mm -hmm. maybe that was a thought i don't know but the cooler heads saw the cops leaving i thought the people in the crowd that wanted order were like oh so you're abandoning <laughs> us you created this heated situation and then you cut and run and that was it so now the violent part of the mob saw this as encouragement like a victory like mm -hmm. yeah we won over the cops now we get to florence and normandy at 5 30 which is the epicenter of the first day the most violent day. People are in the streets and sidewalks throwing stuff at cars. Signs on the street were thrown at cars. Bricks, bottles are throwing things at cars, having no idea what was going on. Yeah. Just passing through. Stores in the area were being raided. Looks like dozens of people moving in and out of liquor stores. Cars were being destroyed, lit on fire. Fire paper, that's all. <laughs> Reporters and photographers were being attacked. If you drove by and you weren't black, people would pull you out of the car and beat you on the street. That was going on. That was caught on like video camera footage and it's horrific to watch. Larry Tarvin and Choi Sai Choi, two men driving through the intersection and pulled out and beaten around 5.30 to 5.40. A construction truck pulled up to the intersection of Florence and Normandy. This guy is pulled out of the driver's side door and in front of a helicopter shooting it beaten within an inch of his life by four guys who seem to revel in the abuse. This is Reginald Denny that mm -hmm. we will talk about for many episodes yeah, early on. kept coming up. He was hit in the head with a hammer, a claw hammer, and then finally one of the guys threw a cinder block against his head. Every book and article I read said they throw a cinder block at him and the guy throws it does a, quote, touchdown style dance. It's a touchdown dance. I don't know why they keep it. A touchdown style uh, dance. Okay, well, it's technically not a touchdown. 
So it's touchdown style. I see what you mean now. Four guys who attack Reginald Denny later are known as the LA Four. Henry Watson, Antoine Miller, Damian Williams, and Gary Williams. Another guy, Fidel Lopez, was pulled from his truck and beaten severely. And I think that they smashed a car radio against his head and it started spray painting on his body. I'm not sure what time this happens, but then the saviors come. People in the community, people who were angry but didn't want to watch the world burn, and they came out to help these people. Fidel Lopez was saved by Reverend Benny Newton, who stood over his body as he was getting attacked, saying, kill him and you have to kill me too save this guy's life another guy named donald jones went over had some choice words with the guys attacking choice i choi and was able to get him into his car and drive him off another young guy 23 year old guy comes out saves larry tarvin who is beaten and dazed walking around the street as people shout at him all guys from the community mm-hmm. all african-american guys who are like this is not what we're after and mm-hmm. we're saving people in the street bobby green he's in the documentary and i absolutely love him dearly based on his appearance and it says that he was watching reginald denny getting beat on tv and he hears a voice come down and he says go down there and save him and he's like all right voices persistent so him and his brother drive to Florence Normandy and he finds three other people trying to save Reginald Denny Titus Terry and Lee and together they get Denny into the rig and drive him to the nearest hospital they said that if they had waited just a couple of minutes longer, Reginald Denny would have been dead. His skull was fractured among many other things. There were also hero cops who defied orders, went into the riot zone, and managed to save people without dying. Most notably, in the documentary, talked to Officer Lisa Phillips and Officer Daniel Nee, saved a woman trapped in a vehicle who was being assaulted with rocks and bottles. Officer John Pui was another person, went to the Nickerson Gardens housing project, which was on fire, and protected fire trucks who were being shot at and mm-hmm. made sure that that fire was able to be put out. It also helped other police units from getting attacked. One person who wasn't saved was a white evangelist named Wallace Tope Jr. who saw the riots going on on TV and decided that he wanted to go over and try to talk sense into people. He was trying to stop people from looting a liquor store and then he was beaten and kicked and left in a coma for 19 months before he died. The riots were full on out of control mass lootings all around the area the first structure fire was at 730 at 60th and normandy fire and purifies all and i mean like all like a lot like 266 and the police nowhere to be found all this footage you're watching about the first day no police anywhere so they were still let's just wait this this one they didn't get back to florence and normandy until 830 that night and it was already war torn where was daryl gates you want to take a guess uh greece the man who earlier smugly said oh we have a contingency plan for social unrest he was in brentwood attending a fundraiser aimed at defeating an upcoming police reform ballot measure good guy (laughs) the police chief always has a way of perfectly being a metaphor during these situations right yeah you're absolutely right he didn't return to the command post until six in the morning the next day during the riots police found that they were wholly unprepared for this and set up a nearby command post on 54th and van ness that in itself was an ordeal that wasn't even a good command post the rioting continued spread all over the city crenshaw there was looting people throwing rocks bottles groups harassing drivers gunshots heard in the air at parker center like i was talking about it got crazier turned over cars they set police vehicles on fire blocked traffic on the 101 they shot at fire trucks koreatown saw looting and fire set westwood had looting as at hollywood did i ever tell you i think i mentioned this podcast before my dad's story yes. he was working at the firestone on hollywood and highland and he had ridden his bike there and it was the first night of the it must have been the first day of the riots and they're like they gotta close the firestone there's just like he was saying <laughs> Not like the firestone i mean everybody who was around that day who was alive and watching the skies that day it was black smoke everywhere because the city was on fire so my dad's just he said in hollywood there was just cars full of guys driving like both sides of the street like zigzagging and it's just a 
crazy in the streets. So he's like, okay. I guess he got a ride from somebody who was very reluctant to give him a ride, but he got a ride. <laughs> Drive me into this battle zone. Yeah. Oh, I Don't live work. on Florence and Norman. <laughs> he drove my dad to Echo Park, but then he just like, he didn't get off the freeway. Like, drove my dad to the shoulder, let my dad off near the exit, and was like, you're on your own. So my dad didn't want to get arrested or didn't want to get in trouble, so he's just like zigzagging through small streets. Wants to get home, wants to make sure everyone's okay, just wants to get home. And he sees one of his friends come, and my dad just wants to stay out of trouble, and he sees one of his friends driving by, he flags him down, he's like, can you give me a ride to the house? This guy, I don't, I'm not going to say his name. And he gets in the car, and he's driving side streets to get to the house, and my dad turns in the back seat washing machine tv <laughs> his friend had been looting i could guess who it is i think you might be able to that's the same guy that wanted to steal the 40 xl pants i told <laughs> oh, that story i know who it is <laughs> i don't know if you've told that story in echo park i think it's the buy and save at some point had a novelty pair of pants hanging from the ceiling 40 xl <laughs> and when the riots and looting broke out this guy said i gotta go steal those pants <laughs> I need those 40XL pants. And he went and they were already taken, which means that another Someone person the, was the like, gotta pants. get those pants. And I'm curious to this day who has the 40XL <laughs> uh, pants in Echo Park. I, that's another thing I'm going to get to the bottom of <laughs> after this. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. The second there's any sort of distraction, I'm going to go and finally <laughs> steal that novelty pencil that's been hanging on the staples. I remember watching Reginald Denny getting beat on TV. I remember watching all of it. I remember we had to get my cousin from her house and her family because they were living I think in Crenshaw but I'll read everything she wrote a little <laughs> bit later a protest rally began late in the evening at Lakeview Terrace at where Ronnie King was pulled over it was not violent at first but then it devolved into throwing rocks shooting guns in the air setting fires there was a particular emphasis on looting destroying and setting ablaze Korean owned businesses after hmm. Latasha Harlan's murder in total I think 2,000 Korean owned businesses were destroyed wow crazy. and it's horrific I mean that's kind of like you've got a two-headed beast you're fighting right yeah. now yeah just watching the footage of people whose stores were being looted in the community like either like just in south la like people like they're crying their eyes out like what are you doing like i'm here i'm here with you right now why are you doing this good thing it never happened again by 10 p.m the city of la was on fire governor pete wilson finally convinced mayor bradley and chief gates gates didn't want any help and not even from sheriff's department at first one of the army corps comes later in the, one of the documentaries says that when he first met daryl gates daryl gates sat in front of him and said I don't want you here and I don't need your help. Learn from the best. Yeah. He didn't want to accept help from, he didn't think the National Guard was needed, didn't want the Sheriff's Department to help. He thought he was doing fine. <laughs> he was mad at his own officers for retreating, which, fair point, but also like, like I feel like you don't get a say in this anymore. <laughs> President Bush, the first one, broadcast a message saying anarchy would not be tolerated. For a couple days, it will be. Um, the next day, really, it's more of the same. No people being pulled out of cars on the second day, but more looting with little to no police involvement. Any and every big store was raided. Fires continued to be set. Rather put a dawn to dusk curfew out in the city you could not be out in the streets during the riots you, just, you mean dusk till dawn dusk till dawn sorry dusk till it's dawn. Like tarantino curfew tarantino curfew yeah riding spread to long beach mid city mid wilshire inglewood hawthorne all these other areas bullocks wilshire was raided on the second day is when the korean community decided to start protecting themselves and their stores Uh-oh. as in told in one of the documentaries i didn't know this but korean men had all been trained in the military back in korea when they were a certain yeah. age so they all had like knowledge about <laughs> like, using guns and their combat korea and Israel. That's fair. <laughs> they armed themselves. They went out into the streets and onto rooftops and they fought off attackers. A news footage, a gunfight breaks out between Korean people and someone 
off screen. And it's crazy. It's in the streets in Koreatown. So who, in terms of who the looters were, who were they? Talking about the arrest later, a lot of Latino people were caught looting. So like disenfranchised, like okay. just people who had been poor, who yeah. couldn't afford anything, who well, worked really hard and still were really I mean, poor. That's, the, that's the thing with like in Watts, like some of the things like I really need paper towels. Exactly. So yeah, people I really need diapers. <laughs> I do need a diaper right there now. There are no rules right now. I work really hard and I'm tired and I just yeah. want to and I'm I'm mad just like everyone else is mad. But also there's a lot of opportunists who are just like, why not? What's going to happen to me? Really, yeah. what's going to happen to me? Well, we'll talk after this about what I think kind of happened now in regards. But know. like now is very, very different. I, it's because completely it's finally different. after all these years pointed out these are people that are different than what this main thing is. And also like stores now are like, it's okay. We understand that what's happening is bigger than a Target getting robbed. <laughs> so Target came out the one I was on fire like, we're fine. But we believe in this movement and we think that police brutality is wrong and people like, oh, all the conservatives are like, what do we do now? <laughs> we lost Target. <laughs> but looting. But if Target says so. <laughs> the altercations with Korean people protecting their stores there were casualties people tend to bring up edward song lee who was 18 protecting a pizza shop and was accidentally killed by korean shopkeepers there's like a famous photo of him dead on the pavement with three other guys who were shot all around him at a pizza place on third and hobart and i'm like i know that pizza place and i never knew that that's where that happened I'm like i know third and hobart koreatown it's one of the hundreds of images of the riots that are just de it's devastating like i was saying before trying to find a photo that you can like positively spin about the 92 riots like, <laughs> like it didn't make anyone look good because it was just like blind rage everything was just like no rules for f mm -hmm. what five days i was four i don't remember any of this <laughs> i was in my own blind rage at four oh, i didn't talk about like i think the second or third day i remember being on the couch in, in the living room which is facing the street we were watching the super with joe pesci and then there was just shots and i was pulled by my neck to the ground for a drive-by and then for years afterwards we had two bullet holes in our front steps and i would show everybody that came over that was from that day from that wow. day yeah and I, i'd show wow. everybody my mom I'm like stop talking about let's put your marbles in then no one notices that's the whole, scary the whole day is full of tragic images not just 1992 but like everything that led up to it like just decades yeah. of people crying out for help and it fell on in different ears and now here we are yeah like we've talked about this these aren't just things that just happened the third day may 1st they got ronnie king on the news they said it's like an impromptu sort of like we just stopped him sort of news conference thing and he's like out and he's like visibly shaken dozens of cameras shoved in his face people like for the last couple of days have been shouting his name as they beat people up throw <laughs> rocks at cars shoot guns set fired bill his name is spray painted all over the city next to burned down buildings rodney king says like people i i just want to say you know can we all get along and it's like it's so sad because i remember that growing up being mocked so often yeah and that, then watching all i hear it is yeah, as a joke but like watching the footage of all the right stuff and getting to that I'm like oh my god like it's so does he pained. say so his exact words are can we all just get along so can we, we all get along so he doesn't even say can't we all yeah so it's another it's like a darth vader exactly yeah it's huh. another misquoted thing yeah, but can, can we, we all get along can't can we all get along? Can we all get along? All right. it's well, so I mean, that's the same with the guy from Watts. Yeah, like, don't, don't use me as the... Exactly, yeah. don't justify this using me as an example. Yeah. I didn't ask for this. How pained he must be. Like, his beating inadvertently caused this. I could see how much, like, turmoil he must feel. It's it, Yeah, it's really painful. Looting, fires, gunshots, wilding, all kept going for, for more or less, for, like, five days altogether. It was a whole thing until the National Guard was actually hit the streets. 10,000 troops swarmed the area. They were 300 miles away when they were initially called. LA LAPD also had help from the Sheriff's Department, the FBI, and the Army. Order was restored on May 4th. LAPD and other law enforcement agencies started to gain control, and law and order started to be restored. The curfew was lifted, and people were able to go up in the streets again. How long was the curfew for? Four days, I think. It's about how much it was four in Watts days? also, I think. Yeah. And 
mentioned this most recent one. Yeah, but it sounds like the city was waking up from a bender, looking around, being <laughs> like, "What? What? What happened? Like, what? What did we do? Who did this?" In the end, there was two thousand three hundred injuries, six hundred twenty-three fires, twelve thousand people arrested, an estimated one billion dollars in damages, and fifty-five people dead. Of the arrests, like I was saying, only thirty-six people were African American, fifty-one percent were Latinos. Another group that had suffered from LAPD abuse and suffered from poverty and injustices. The Korean community also took a big hit. Like a lot of shop owners were left destitute after that, and they they you know they too had been mistreated and suffered with poverty and were discriminated yeah. against. And what yeah. happened, it wasn't a natural disaster. It was a social disaster. There isn't just one cause for this. Some people blame the rioters. Some people blame the cops. But I feel like it's bigger than all that. Like it's history and indifference. It's pushing injustices into one group and seeing how far you could push them, not just the African-American community, but like just people of color. Like how far can we push these people who are down before like this happens? Poor people, immigrants, like it, it, this was seemingly the culmination of years of anguish manifested into physical destruction. Many businesses never even tried to rebuild themselves. That was it. Like on Vermont and Manchester, there's an area the size of four football fields remained empty for like 28 years. The 92 riots were like for a long time were the worst American civil disturbance with so much footage from different parts of town, from different scenes, from professional and amateur. It is one of the first times a riot on American Street was captured like this. Yeah, I was going to say, I, uh, this is like what we have today where people are filming the cops, people are filming yeah, exactly. what's going on. This was the first time this that was, happened. This was this, yeah. So what came of this? First, the Crips and the Bloods signed a pact, the Watts Truce, in which they called off all payback fighting. This actually happened the day before the riots took off, April 28th, over the shooting death of Henry Pecco by the LAPD as he was leading children out of a playground to safety during what police thought was an ambush. Over this, differing housing projects who were at war with each other called a truce. This strength held through the riots and then on for years oncoming. This pact was modeled after a 1949 UN Middle East peace treaty. This is crazy. That a former gang member had found at the USC archives. This document, <laughs> the peace treaty, coincidentally was drafted by Ralph Bunch, an African-American undersecretary that grew up in Watts and later got the Nobel Peace Prize. So the Crips and the Bloods can figure out a pact amongst each other to make things better, and the LAPD and the rest of the city can't? They can't. So the Crips and the Bloods sat down like at Appomattox Courthouse <laughs> and signed a document saying, let's, let's end this. Let's this. <laughs> but that was one of the bigger things that people talk about as a result yeah. of everything was like look what can be the done. impact that this had that these two groups hate each other it's crazy like, called the truce the lapd obviously took a big hit and not just from optics and years of bad press in this situation they showed after years of abuse and doing anything to keep law and order they were completely unprepared for civil unrest even after the watts rights that both these men bradley and gates had lived through they had seen that in their lifetime <laughs> still when they was presented with them they had no idea how to act <laughs> well bradley a little bit better but he couldn't make the same calls that gates could yeah. bradley is better in this situation through the whole thing He's, he calls out Gates a lot, calls out the LAPD, says, this isn't right. You should retire. You should step down. Warren Christopher had drafted the Christopher Commission. An LA Times article broke it down for me. The commission sought to investigate police brutality and found that there is a significant number of police officers who repeatedly abuse power, use excessive force, and ignore the written policies of the department regarding force. This misconduct, this group of officers tarnishes the reputations of a vast majority of LAPD officers who do their increasingly difficult job of policing a city with courage, skill, and judgment. This is still a problem. And this is like my, this is like one big problem for me was like bad cops do whatever they want. They make good cops look bad and good cops don't want to break the code of silence or they'll face internal retribution, almost like cops being scared of cops <laughs> and the broken system of policing continues. Right. People say there are no good cops. I believe that only in that no cop will step up to another cop. That's someone was towing cows. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what they're saying. The quote-unquote good cops are still complicit. And so there are no good cops. Exactly. Good cop is, yeah. The report showed that cops who got complaints of excessive force would continue on without being punished, even with multiple complaints. From the commission, they drafted the Charter Amendment 4, which limited the police chief's tenure from five years to two years, stripped civil service protections from the chief's position, and allowed the police commission to remove a chief for reasons other than misconduct. It also targeted protections Parker had won for rank-and-file cops, added the civilian to the department's internal disciplinary panels, and weakened procedural protections. In June of that year, voters voted yes on Charter F. Daryl Gates retired three weeks later. Mayor Tom Bradley left later that year. Two years later, Congress passed 14141 of the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act, which let the Justice Department investigate excessive misconduct and deadly force in the local police departments. It was drafted after a response to the Christopher Commissions after they look into the LAPD. Sergeant Kuhn and Officer Powell were found guilty of violating King's civil rights later. They both served 30 months in prison and did not return to the police force. Mm -hmm. Brazino and Wynn were both fired from the LAPD. So those are those four. Now the other four, the LAPD. but why did they get retried? And I didn't look into that that much. Like, well, so I guess you can bring cases to a bigger court. I guess so. And now we're going to talk about the other four, the LA four that beat up Reginald Denny. Henry mm-hmm. Watson, Antoine Miller, Damien Williams, Gary Williams were quickly identified and arrested in front of TV cameras and served <laughs> several years in prison. The common the, theme here is that TV cameras are always around yeah, like in exactly. every part of this or but like everybody from made a plumber. Such a big deal of like, look, we got the guys who got Reginald Denny. Look at us. We got them. And like, yeah, that's not the problem anymore. Like, yeah, that's um, we're glad that you arrested these guys because they committed a crime but don't pretend like everyone's yeah. on your side we fixed again. it we f- yeah exactly we <laughs> fixed it guys years later Reginald Denny went on the show Donahue with Henry Watson and one of the guys who beat him up and Watson apologized for attacking Denny Denny seems like incredibly understanding he accepted the apology Donahue asked Henry Watson are you sorry and Watson replied, yes, I'm sorry for the injuries Mr. Denny suffered. And then Donahue asked, are you sorry for your participation in the event? And Watson replies, I have mixed feelings about it. <laughs> Reginald Denny said, this is a civil war. This is not me against Mr. Watson. It's not a personal vendetta. The problems were happening before Mr. Watson and I were born. And then the two shook hands. Yeah, I think they both understand the yeah. situation. <laughs> Rodney King died not too long ago, like a couple of years ago. He drowned in a pool like his dad did 28 years to the day, had drowned in a bathtub. What? Yeah. Rodney King had drugs and alcohol in the system. And That's for weird. It's very upsetting and for years fought addiction tried to get sober and then he would relapse his life after his beings and the riots for a long time people were, me included used to refer to this as the ronnie king riots not easy not right thing to do ronnie king continued using drugs and getting arrested and people call him a complicated figure but to me he wasn't he's never set his life on a path to be a martyr or a symbol just like fry he's just a guy just like, like a, any person yeah i'm a troubled guy i'm not a hero i'm not like yeah. the face of the movement i'm just a guy that this thing happened to ronnie king struggled with that for years a lot of people will want to look at his behavior say see like look he's not that innocent but like yeah they tried doing that with george floyd yeah, exactly. also like he had he had drugs yeah it's yeah. not the point the cop is an executioner or judge or, or jury. jury he's a cop <laughs> he's a he's an officer of the law yeah. ronnie king might have been a drug guy but looking at him through these interviews he's so soft-spoken he seems like somebody who takes a moment to think before he speaks and he mm-hmm. sounds really earnest when he speaks and being an alcoholic and a drug addict isn't pretty but it shouldn't land you in the hospital with broken bones after four cops rain baton blows down on you that's not the way DUIs are handled no. during our I mean it is how they're handled that's uh, not how they're supposed uh, to be apparently handled. yeah during our most current protests and demonstrations over the death of George Floyd and then similar ones over the last decade the thing with George Floyd was only one of three or four recent ones within right. the, like a two week span we had people in the streets in LA 
for these protests, but they weren't in South LA. This time, we saw mass demonstrations in Santa Monica, Beverly Hills, Fairfax District, looting and fires occurred, but overall, the demonstrations in LA were peaceful. In Minneapolis, they burned a police station down pretty much to the ground, but organizers like Melinda Abdullah, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter, said the protests needed to be in elite areas for anyone to take notice and send a message. South LA was spared this time, and I don't think that that's not something I thought about <laughs> when you saw these demonstrations. It was like, oh, they are so far away from the areas that had already taken these hits and were destroyed. Yeah. They were spared. This move is incredibly thoughtful. These protests were organized outside of that area. It does feel this time more that like people understand what needs to happen yeah. and what the problem is more so than 1965 when they're like, yeah, Parker's right because he said it on TV. Yeah. People get what's happening. And yeah, the point of all this was get into the neighborhoods, bring this in the faces of the people who don't have to live like this. Yeah. I mean, I, got, I felt so, because I wasn't going out and doing anything, but I felt like we, this needs to go to Simi Valley and Lancaster, like places where cops yeah. live. Take it to their houses and then march there. But like, I, you know, I don't organize or do anything. <laughs> so what, who am I? The first couple of days I was, I was, ready to go and i was reading like things people are sharing on instagram about what you need to take to prepare yourself for protesting it was like make sure you bring heat resistant gloves to pick up tear gas canisters i'm like what what (laughs) huh (laughs) that was the other thing with like the looters this time around not only did people easily spot out like that's not everyone these are but it almost felt like a lot of the people who were doing it had seen 1992 and been like I can't wait to do that. Like, yeah, it, it, it that's all... what I thought too. Is that they're almost fetishizing the exactly. anarchy. Exactly. And on the other side of that, I think a lot of the cops were like, "I can't wait to do that." Exactly. So I think there were these two groups within these groups that were there was the cops, and then there were these small group of looters who yeah. were just like, "This is the video game I've always wanted yeah, exactly. to play." But... This is the zombie exactly. apocalypse yeah. I've always envisioned. These movements, because they sustained for over a month, this isn't just an outbreak of concentrated rage. It's rage, but also like there's a lot of thought and. And as people have good ideas about what needs to change. I feel like it's finally breaking through. I, I'm really hoping. But yeah, a lot of like the cops that killed George Floyd have been arrested. Like not just fired, arrested. They're going to yeah. actually face charges because they committed a crime and they killed someone who was unarmed and handcuffed. It's encouraging, but at the same time, even since that more stuff has happened yeah but marching is good it's bringing attention to all this and Mm -hmm. it's getting through to a lot of people but at a certain point like what's the next step that needs to be taken yeah marching at a certain point like it's good but we need to do more than that yeah and i don't know what that is what is the next thing that needs to be because i I was reading a thing about martin luther king's whole thing like he wasn't just marching he was like let's march to this place yeah so that we can get all these people to register to vote let's take direct action civil disobedience let's break the right laws but like what are the law like i don't know what to do like i don't know what action needs to be taken next uh, yeah. what do we the people other I th- than voting I think there's probably answers and we're completely ignorant to it yeah i don't know what they are i mean i think f- the police seems to be a big push right now it's interesting i need to learn more about it before i start shouting it at people. <laughs> i think they could certainly take a massive pay cut at the oh, very yeah. least i think three billion dollars is crazy but uh, yeah i don't know what the answers are how do you get rid of the code of silence how do you make it so when a cop kills an unarmed person all the other cops are like you're making me look bad and you need to be put behind bars because me carrying this badge it's not the same thing as you carrying that badge. yeah i think that needs to happen and i don't think it ever will because like i think that's what they mean when they say tear it all down and rebuild it yeah. in a better way which if that's what it takes let's do it yeah, let's do it because that's the one of the most dangerous things that the cops implement is that they commit a crime and all the other ones cover it up or they don't say anything no episode has made me angrier <laughs> we've found other ones that i'm like huh. 
I'm going to read what my cousin wrote. Oh, yeah. But my cousin that we took in their family during the riots. This is what Vanessa wrote. Pre-riots, I remember loving the street we lived on. We were the only Hispanic family in our block. We used to play with our next-door neighbor who had a pink Barbie Jeep in our fr- <laughs> at the front of our houses. Our neighbors to the right were an older black couple with fancy cars and they beautifully kept front yard. My dad worked the night shift, so it was just me. Oh, he worked at Alley Times, I think. So it was just me, mom, and baby sister nightly, and I felt safe. I knew about the Rodney King beating because I loved watching the news as a kid. That's true. I remember hearing that the police officers were in trouble, but I didn't understand what it meant to have them on trial. What I did know was the day that the verdicts were read, my mom came to pick me and Susie up in Echo Park after she got off work that evening. At that time, she worked at the Alley Times, so she must have heard the news about the verdicts, and she was acting nervous when she arrived. My mom was talking to grandpa, my grandpa, in front of the brick wall of 2049. So she told him she was scared to go home in South Central because my dad was at work already. He told her to relax and that nothing bad was going to happen. So she reluctantly loaded us into the little blue Toyota and started home. I sat in the front in my booster seat and Susie was in the back. Oh, damn. She must have been like seven then. <laughs> Usually she had dance music blasting on our rides home, but that evening we all listened to the AM news station. The ride home was tense, but I still didn't understand why. I didn't know about the verdicts. We got off our usual exit, Florence, off the one tame and headed toward Western. But even before we could make it to the major cross street, our car was surrounded by a bunch of angry people at the intersection of Florence and Normandy. Oh I didn't see the cro- crowd driving right at the Florence and Normandy. I didn't see the crowd initially as we approached Normandy. What I remember is my mom quickly reaching across my seat to lock the button on the door. Then our car came to an abrupt stop. I looked to the right outside the passenger window. I saw running in all directions. Then I saw a man with a box or something big in his hands running toward our car and then he was gone. Other guys were at the front of our car pushing on the hood shouting at us. At this point I heard my mom screaming and motioning for people to get out of the way. My sister was crying in the backseat and everything was so loud. I remember screaming mommy. It happened so fast. My mom managed to get through the intersection and hauled ass home. When we pulled into our driveway on 80th Street, my mom rushes us inside the house. There was a knock on the door and I was scared again. It was Mr. Ira who talked mom in a calm and stern voice. He told her that we needed to leave but it wasn't safe for us at home in the neighborhood anymore. After he left, mom ran to the bedroom and quickly got on the phone with dad's work. She managed to talk to him for a few minutes to let him know we were leaving and wasn't sure where she was taking us. After she hung up, she told me to grab my toys and a blanket. I didn't know that would be the last time I would be home on 80th Street. Makes me sad now to think about since Jackson is the same age I was that night. Her son is now that same age. To tell a kid to grab their favorite toy and whatever little possessions they can before running out the front door, it's crazy to me. We left quickly and I don't remember where we went initially. It's a blur after that. My next memory is sitting in your living room. I shouldn't say my address out loud. (laughs) My next memory is reading your social security (laughs) number. My next memory is sitting in your living room, my living room, watching the news at night. I was scared. I remember your dad and my dad talking on the porch about guys possibly coming into the neighborhood to riot, which they did. Uh, It was just a drive-by. Everybody was on edge for what seemed like forever. I was on the porch with Grandpa one of those nights. He was sitting on a chair and had one of those handkerchiefs on his lap. I remember that with his hand underneath it. I don't know what it was that set him off, but all of a sudden he shouted to me, go inside. My mom gathered those kids into the back bedroom and I remember hearing Grandpa shouting at the front of the house. I think it ended up being some unfamiliar guys casing the neighborhood that had everyone scared. Probably the gunshots. The days went on and on for a while. I remember your mom taking us for a ride in El Camino to check out the aftermath in Echo Park. National Guardsmen on the roof of Pioneer Market and in the parking lot. I don't remember that. I had never seen armed people in public. I know I matured over the course of that short period. We did move back. I never went back to South Central. My parents lost their home and we were broke for a while. We moved into a small apartment in Atwater after that. I remember that. Life changed overnight, but nothing has changed in 28 years at the same time. I had what I think is PTSD watching the first round of riots on the news Mm -hmm. the days following George Floyd's murder. I was scared because I knew what it could all lead to, but I was angry that nothing has changed enough for a murder like that to happen in daylight in front of an audience to hands the police. I just keep thinking that Jackson, her son, is the same I was in 1992. That's the perspective I needed to make sure I didn't keep 
quiet about and I'm bolder to speak my mind about injustices. I'm not angry about protests or rioters or burned buildings. I don't care about that. People are angry and rightfully so. We were never angry about losing our home back then. We knew these injustices were and are still very real. Well said. Well said. My very intelligent cousin who's always been incredibly intelligent. Didn't you want me to marry her? <laughs> no. Susie, her sister. Uh, I'm like, when you were both single, uh, I was like, both you two should meet. I, I want Vanessa. She's married to the most handsome military man I've ever seen. Uh-oh. With the, one of the best mustaches I've ever seen. Uh, well, she hasn't seen mine. <laughs> you read that testimony. I'm hoping if we get them in time by the end of this episode, you'll be hearing, we asked for a bunch of people who have been protesting in the current protest to yeah. tell us their experiences and their stories. So I'm hoping at the end of the episode, you'll be hearing that. If not, boy, are we going to look embarrassed. <laughs> Otherwise, yes. you you can not embarrass us by leaving us a review on iTunes. That would be not embarrassing. I wouldn't be embarrassed if a loved one asked me, do you have reviews on iTunes? I'm like, only 56. Ha 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 We've got about double that, <laughs> um, which is still embarrassing. But you can leave us a review on Apple Podcast, iTunes, wherever you listen to us. Leave us five stars, some words. It's nice. Yeah. It helps people find us, make us more visible. You can also follow us on Twitter at LA Meekly, our personal Twitters at DM Zafrin. And boy, is it hilarious. It sure it sure was for that week that you were posting. Boy, was it funny for a week, and then all of the protests started, and then I was not feeling like making a joke for about over a month. Just do what I'm doing, reposting uh, really angry things. Yeah. What's mine? I gotta look mine up real quick. Dumboy at, at Dumbo. You're at, being really mean. Grego underscore Gonzo. Uh, it's at Twitter. Stupid Boy. <laughs> it's at Stupid Boy, and it's not even on Twitter. It's on weaklink.com. Grego Gonzo on Instagram. Grego underscore Gonzo on Twitter. Yeah, you can follow our Instagram at LA underscore meekly mm -hmm. if you want to listen to individual segments of our episodes or if you want to listen to these they're all on our youtube channel as well yep. oh and also if you want to support us financially on patreon we make no money doing this and i'm going to be laid off in a, about a year at most yeah. and i'm going back to work in a few days so i might be dead in three weeks yeah you in could, which case i get that all the money if you could figure out how to log into the patreon <laughs> you could cash it all out but yeah you can support us for a dollar a month we'll say your name you'll just be supporting us for five dollars a month you will get handwritten postcards we are now printing our own also we're gonna have some original designs coming it's gonna be pretty sweet yeah if one guy is listening to this please <laughs> yeah. do that please make it pretty sweet don't pretty embarrass sweet. us yeah. like all the other ways we're about to be embarrassed uh yeah this has been a this has been a rough month i don't like using the phrase rough because it means that it's bad it hasn't been bad the protests haven't been bad but the other horrible thing we're dealing with has been bad yeah the other horrible thing <laughs> oh, and it's about every day gets worse because more yeah. and more restrictions are lifted yeah. at a time when the restrictions shouldn't be lifted hey like i said i'm going back to work in a couple days you are going to back um, to work in a couple days my dad's gonna need me to go back to the market in a couple days <laughs> my dad wants to lick the plastic bags of the market in a couple days tomorrow we're recording the day before father's day i know exactly what i'm doing for my dad <laughs> is just take him to the markets and see loves doing it apparently it's his favorite thing to do is to can go I try to the free market. samples can i have free samples handed to me are you with me about wearing a mask and gloves everywhere he goes <laughs> we're not the authorities on this no we, certainly not we, and we don't i'm not we, gonna pretend like i know no and anything. our opinions aren't even really valid on this yeah no but not at all. i think uh i think good I things think that. I, I do think that <laughs> let me activate my sympathy uh, <laughs> protocols i think that good things will come out of this i've seen enough people yeah. who understand this and are are do like look at how many different people are supporting 
yeah. Black Lives Matter right yeah. now. Which didn't happen, you know, four years ago exactly. when they first started. There was a lot. I feel like there was a lot of resistance. There was a lot. I think it makes more sense to a lot more people, which is crazy, but it makes, it got One, through to There's people. a tweet going around. Why is it a debate to end racism? Like, yeah, what's, the, what's even the other side of the argument? Why is it a debate to wear masks? I, I'm not the first one to yeah. talk about this, but like the fact that we have this virus that you can't see and is killing people is such a perfect metaphor for like for everything that's we couldn't have picked a better virus to have unleashed on us that people think that you needing to wear a mask is removing your freedoms yeah it's ridiculous the metaphors that are flying around right now well look everybody stay safe stay positive continue being safe continue being safe continue being positive are the soles of your shoes a wicker basket like wicker like it looks like wicker basket i'm just wearing wicker baskets that's what it is i i've gone a little crazy in my (laughs) quarantine i learned how to make a couple things from youtube i took duolingo on how to make wicker and now i wear them as shoes but yeah everyone continue to be safe we'll see you whatever next month is going to be like we'll We'll see see you you. see you if daniel's here or not you're going to get (laughs) a hallie meekly episode or not i might haunt the next recording but greg will certainly be here it'll be greg in a cold spot (laughs) which is your morning radio show (laughs) greg in the cold spot anyway that's been yet another episode of la meekly parker and gates could sit on it since Since 2013 okay yeah i'm done